I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our Zoom screens almost look Kubrickian themselves. Yeah. Uh. The center point perspective, you know, it's a very classic Kubrick style. Okay, cool. Kubrick always wanted to make a little film about jealousy from the beginning. And finally, in 1996, he got the chance, and boy, did he. Ooh, he really did it. He shot the film for over 400 days, and it drove Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman insane. The movie took so long to make the public started talking crazy shit With horny speculation that there'd be actual sex between Nicole and Tom and Harvey Keitel's dick Hair ejaculation And when the movie finally did come out All the horny little freaks, they were all let down Talking eyes wide shut Talking eyes wide shut I feel like talking I feel like partying How are you not peeking? <laughs> Welcome 
Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And my name is Justin Nisham. And with us, as always, is the Nicole Kidman of this podcast, wow. Corey Clifford. Wow. What, what, uh, well, you got the blonde Spondness. hair. Uh-huh. Like Meg Ryan. You love a man in uniform. Uh-huh. I do. Pot makes you aggressive. <laughs> and you're always daydreaming yeah. about other people. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well. <laughs> um, I love a man in uniform. I feel like you're always commenting on how I'm attracted to the person who looks like the druggie the most, like the hollowed eyes. That's true. So in this movie, you're more attracted to the costume shop owner. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. Good He's guy. so good. And each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be taken where the rainbow ends. Remove your clothes. Folks, <laughs> we are still in December. And we've seen your messages. We've heard your pleas. Do a Christmas movie. Please, I, I tried, guys. I tried. Bet you didn't see this one coming. We said, well, hey, what's the most Christmassy movie? And it's like sitting right there in front of our faces. Honestly, I was shocked because um, I didn't remember how Christmassy this movie was. Yeah, it's pretty Christmassy. But it's extremely Christmassy. I mean, there's like a Christmas, there's Christmas tree. parties and a Christmas tree and almost and decorations almost in every, every scene. scene. Yeah, The movie is almost fully lit by Christmas lights. In fact, it kind of captures an essence of Christmas that I feel like a lot of movies don't, which is the feeling of like sitting in a dark room where only the Christmas tree and the colorful Christmas lights that you have strung. Like right now, we have our Christmas tree up. Mm -hmm. We have Christmas lights strung up on our uh, fireplace. Mm -hmm. We have them kind of strewn about the room. And more often than not, once it hits like 8 p.m., pretty much every light is off except for these Christmas lights. And I'm sitting in eyes wide shut world. It's true. And I kind of loved it. Do you consider this a Christmas movie? Me? Do you feel like it qualifies? Yeah, I would say yes. In the same way that people say like Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. No, I think people would debate because they think a, to them a Christmas movie has a deeper meaning, has more criteria That's true. than just That's true. it takes place <laughs> on Christmas. But I am mm -hmm. of the belief that you're a Christmas movie if it's set during Christmas. I do think that there is a little bit of like a Christmas Carol vibe to this movie. Yes, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's very much about like a what if we're seeing uh -huh. the other side of things. If you were to act on something, what the sort of nightmare version, if you were to act out your yeah. twisted fantasies. It, he's like a Scrooge McDuck in that way where he's getting shown the alternate Scrooge universe. McFuck. <laughs> he's a Scrooge McFuck. He's a Scrooge McFuck. So yes. I think it kind of, because uh, I was thinking about while watching the movie, like what was, it doesn't really come into play plot wise Christmas. It is almost just an atmospheric yeah. uh, touch, but no, it's, ma it it's magical. Once Nicole Kidman gives her speech where she talks about the night she met the sailor, mm -hmm. that sends Tom Cruise on a whirlwind of magical adventure yeah. on a yeah. night that's so surreal, you don't yeah. know if it's real or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Just, uh, just like Bill Murray and Scrooged. Yeah. Uh, well, people are probably like, what the fuck movie are they even talking about? Because yeah. I haven't heard no the title. I haven't clicked on I just, the, the I auto-played the podcast without clicking. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's our true fans, our true fans. Yeah. Well, Justin, don't leave them hanging any longer. What movie are we talking about today? 
<laughs> but wait, they listened you to did? the You did? Yeah, I was just <laughs> about to say that. You said Eyes Wide Shut like 10 times during you the song. Said, we're, we're doing Eyes Wide Shut. There are a lot of people out there um, that I think listen to music and they don't pay any attention to the lyrics. Yeah. They are just attached yeah. to the music. They feel it in their heart and souls. They're not listening to what I'm actually saying. I looked at the I looked at the data and the metrics, and 99% of our listeners are skipping through yep. the opening music. Mm, they don't so, like it. You know, they're don't just like pre- it. You're, some people are singing to the choir. You're singing to <laughs> your wife and best friend and dog. <laughs> but all jokes aside, mm-hmm. we're talking 1999, Stanley Kubrick's last film, Eyes Wide Shut. I have seen one or two things in my life, but never, never anything like this. Look, women don't, they basically just don't think like that. They did a bad, bad thing. If you men only knew. I'll tell you what I do know is you got a little stone tonight, you've been trying to pick a fight with me, and now you're trying to make me jealous. You've never been jealous about me, have you? No, I haven't. Then why haven't you ever been jealous about me? Well, I don't know, Alice. Maybe because you're my wife. And I know you would never be unfaithful to me. Don't you want to go where the rainbow ends? I don't think you realize what kind of trouble you were in. Eyes Wide Shut. Rated R. I watched a version of the trailer that just had that Chris Isaac music with no dialogue. Yeah, that's that is what the thing is, but I didn't, you know, I'm not trying to get in trouble copyright-wise of just playing a full Chris Isaac song on the podcast. <laughs> so I kind of cut my own version of it. I took a few TV spots in mm. the original trailer and I kind of blended them all together. So yeah, that's a that's a hodgepodge because yeah, most Wait, of the, the actual trailer is-, is just the Chris Isaac song. Like there's no dialogue. It's literally just images with the Chris Isaac song playing. That's cool. Which is great. Yeah, it is cool. It's great. But otherwise, we'd just be sitting here listening to the song and we might get in trouble for that. (laughs) When was the last time you saw a trailer that just did that? I know. That just had music with no one speaking. Yeah. It's nice. And get and got you that jazz, mm-hmm. as jazzed as I was to watch this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, do you remember uh, like when this movie was being promoted? Like I remember seeing those commercials on TV constantly. Uh-huh, me too. Yeah. It was uh, such a weird thing to have memories of like a yes. Stanley Kubrick movie that's about to come out. Yeah. You know? I think yeah. because of the, it was Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman at sure. their height. Oh, of this it. Is, so it's like yeah. this movie taught me who Stanley Kubrick was. I had no clue oh. who he was when this movie came out in 1999. I was in fifth grade. I'd never heard of him. And so when this movie came out and I did, I would watch like entertainment tonight and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I remember the controversies around the movie and all of the hype and speculation for it. And that was kind of how I learned who Kubrick was. I was like, Oh, he's this big filmmaker that this is, that has made a lot of great stuff. None of it of which I've seen. And this is a movie that I'm for sure not going to be able to see because all the talk of this movie was that it was essentially pornographic. I remember my parents being excited to see this movie, like Mm -hmm. talking about it. Mm -hmm. And then I remember seeing like the trailer and it like really disturbed me that like my parents were excited to see it. I was like, oh, why do they want to see this? If my parents were excited, they didn't talk about it. Like They they talked about it. Not to me, just like I remember it like being the conversation. And this was also around the time I feel like when people didn't think Nicole Kidman was a good actress. Oh, both of them. I think they were both kind of thought of as like not great. I don't, I guess maybe, but Tom Cruise has just always been Tom Cruise. Yeah. And I feel like there was a time, which is crazy because Nicole Kidman is considered like one of our best now. For sure. 
But like at this time, people being like, oh, yeah, she's not very good. Well, and, and in in that too, Tom Cruise had at least done stuff like A Few Good Men and uh-huh. The Firm that were like pretty big. I think Nicole Kidman had done Batman Forever. She had yeah. done Dead Calm. She had done a few things that a lot of people hadn't seen. And the, her big mainstream stuff was like Days of Thunder. Uh, she had just done uh, Portrait of a Lady. So she was kind of just coming into her own as like a confident actress mm-hmm. that wasn't just thought of. Uh, as a, a sex a sexy girl. Uh, so yeah, I think she did have a little bit of extra. Crazy to hear um, and see Todd Fields in this movie. Yeah. It's crazy that Todd Fields has gone on to become like such a brilliant director because he was kind of just like an actor doing bit parts totally. and things. Yeah. He was in he Twister. Was Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, director of Tar and uh, Little Children in the Bedroom. Now he's, he's pretty much such a brilliant a director. director. Like brilliant. And a pretty great actor too. I thought he's. I think he's really fun in this movie. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, getting into an argument with my friend Matt because the commercials would play all the time, and to the point where we would sing "Baby Did a Bad Bad Thing" to each other just from the commercials. I'd ne- I never heard the song in the radio, never saw a music video. I would just see these commercials playing all the time. I was convinced he was saying they did a bad bad thing. They did a bad bad thing, but he knew it was baby did a bad bad thing. But he would go like, "Baby did a bad bad thing," and I was like, "It's not right. It's too many syllables, and it is too many syllables." He's going, "Baby did a bad bad." Try to gaslight your friend as I, a child. We, I was just convinced he was saying they did a bad bad thing because musically it didn't work. <laughs> they in my, start young, Corey. I know they, they really do. But I eventually mm-hmm. realized, and I ate crow later, and I think I apologized mm-hmm. to him because yeah, that's right. A, that's what yeah. I do. Oh, you right. Think, I'm sure you, think you did. I do that when I when I know that when I realize that I'm wrong I will Uh grovel and I will bow down so just like how you apologize to that person you told was hairy like a werewolf Okay. Oh my god! Shots that. fired! <laughs> Shots fired! I would if I if I knew them anymore. Uh, yes. Yeah. Sure. <sighs> Justin is referring to an incident when I was maybe in third grade, second grade, where a girl had particularly hairy arms, and I noticed it, and I said, "You look like a werewolf." And years, years, years later, when that <laughs> that popular like. Yeah, blog what was came out called postcard like what was that called you like did secrets on postcards yeah postcard post secret and they came out with a book and one of the ones was when i was in third grade a boy told me that my arms were as hairy as a werewolf and i've shaved them ever since and we truly believe and that i think was that Jack. could have been because it's all anonymous so i don't it didn't say her name that would be that's like the most toxic offensive thing that you could do like today like, yeah now yeah. <laughs> it was like people are not shaving at all and it's like it's to- not not only normal but it's like cool hey, <laughs> I, I like it i looked back on it i was not that kind of kid that like was trying to make people cry and so i think in the moment i was maybe just kind of taken aback by it. Okay. <laughs> well, you like werewolf you you probably you probably loved american werewolf in london yeah, so I, you were throwing her a compliment exactly if i could go back now i'd be like i like it but the at the time i didn't know and i could tell instantly yeah. that it hurt her feelings and you know when you're a kid you don't know how to handle that kind of so when you realize you hurt somebody's feelings a lot of times mm-hmm. you just want to fucking run away you don't want to yeah. say anything well you know speaking of hurting people's feelings <laughs> i mean look at the movie we're watching that's true you know? this there is all go. about getting your feelings hurt. it really kind of is that's kind of one of the things i rewatching it this time i really appreciate that like for the most part for the majority of the movie the stakes are not life or death 
it becomes sort of implied that there are life or death stakes like by the last 20 yeah. minutes, 20, 30 minutes of the movie. But for the most part, this is kind of just a movie about internal emotional stakes. You hurt my feelings. You made me jealous. You made me mad. And that spirals... You she know, does really. I like. I felt bad for Tom because I was like, "This is in. mean." Like, this is mean. <laughs> what it. she's saying to him. She fucking digs it. Yeah, in she does pretty hard. Yeah, it's not, even like when she's telling him her dream. I too, know, and like, she's like, and I'm laughing at you. I was laughing. That scene was more funny to me than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that because scene. it just goes it further is, than you think it's gonna go. Further, like, also, too, it's fun. What makes it funny is nobody remembers their. No, this is the longest dream of yeah. all time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and th- th- it's like right when you think it's over, she's uh, he's like that's not, but that's not where it ended. I, yeah, it? and she's like, no, it's not. There's more, and it gets worse. Boy, does it get worse from there? Yeah, but yeah I like I I like that. Um, by the end of the movie, he feels Tom Cruise's character kind of feels like a little kid uh-huh. who got mad and who got horny and got caught jerking off or something and has to sort of admit it. Like yeah. the final sequence between him and Sidney Pollack almost feels like when your dad confronts you about finding your porno magazines. And then he's like, and yeah. now you got to go tell your mom. And then that scene where he tells Nicole Kim, it feels like, I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you everything. And yeah. I, I kind of love that I about love the that. movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this movie kind of, tell me if I'm off base here, but the movie feels also, you know, you said Kubrick wanted to do a movie on jealousy. Yeah. It feels like Kubrick also wanting to do David Lynch to me. Yeah, because like, it feels so like dreamy. Mulholland, yeah. It has a Mulholland Drive vibe to me. Yeah. Or like Blue, Vel- Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. you know? Totally. Blue Velvet also has that sort of spiraling into mm-hmm. a fantasy, surreal fantasy nightmare kind of situation yeah. uh, into the depths of hell. Yeah. But... Um, I, the color I also palette feel too, like by the, way, by the end of the movie, you're kind of like, Oh, this is a nice love story. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> well, I'm like they yeah. like it. It's like a like a like a fucked up, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But you're like, wow, yeah. this like couple worked this. They thing do work out. it through. Yeah. They work it through. It's they not didn't just give up. They gonna... weren't just like, okay, I'm gonna just yeah. peace Which out I, of here. I love that. I do I too. I think you know, like everybody has their own opinions about cheating, and let's not mm-hmm. get bogged. Let's not get into the weeds here. Right, but. I love that the movie decided to depict a questionable sort of uh-huh. couple uh, experiences that yeah. they each had. One was a dream. One was maybe a dream, but also reality. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Cruise is trying really hard to cheat. Not sure <laughs> yeah. how he's, successful he's not he's successful, not successful at all. He's not successful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, never seen someone so fucking handsome try yeah. so hard to cheat and fail so well, Which kind of plays into the dream thing. It's like, how many times do you get in a fight in your dream and you can't punch? You know, how many times yeah. do you almost have sex with somebody in a dream, but it doesn't exactly. quite get there? Yes. So that kind of feels like it's playing into it. I, I'm really interested to read the original sort. So this is adapted from a novel called Tromnoville, which is a German novel. Yeah. And the, the English title of it is called Dream Story. And I haven't read it. I looked at the Wikipedia description of the book. It sounds really close. Like, Beat for yeah. beat, almost the same shit happens in it. But yeah. I'm sure when you read, I wonder how dreamy the book is in the way that this movie yeah. is dreamy. I'd be curious, but it seems like Kubrick was pretty faithful to the novel in terms of what happens in yeah. it. So that could have yeah. been him, you know, obviously, yeah, I think he is influenced a little bit by Lynch, but it, it's probably him also just taking it from the book as well. 
Yeah, for sure. And I don't I don't care to debate in a movie. Like we've had conversations like this on the pod before like, "Oh, did it Raising Arizona? We were just talking mm-hmm. about this, mm-hmm. right?" Like um I don't care to debate if something is real or not because you could make the argument that we we watched if we're watching it, it's real. It right. happened. But it could also be a metaphor. Yeah. So whether it's a metaphor or you know, whether it's real or not, the metaphor still lives. Absolutely. And I love I love the idea of looking at what th- Nicole Kidman is having the dream, the fantasy about cheating. She's mm-hmm. not actually going through with it. Tom Cruise is living the fantasy, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, and trying to go through with it in the physical world. And the point is, you know, she says at the end that we were lucky that we woke up from the dream. Mm-hmm. And it's like the dream of somebody else, of something better out there, some, some something sexier, yeah. something to to take you away from your problems, from your marriage, from feeling trapped and suffocated. Like this external thing is going to save you, is going to give you something you want. And that is a fantasy. Yeah. It doesn't lead to anything good ever. You <laughs> never get what you don't, not, I, I don't have any personal experience in it, but I know intuitively right. you don't get what you, yeah. you right. want from it. You just end up in, in hell. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think the movie is intentionally putting him through hell and teasing him with it yeah. and making it seem like he's living a nightmare because that's essentially what it is. Cheating right. on someone, leaving your partner, betraying them, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, even more so than like dream logic to me watching the movie, it just felt like a fairy tale, like fairy tale logic. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't say anything is like there's not a lot in the movie that is like unexplainable or completely random out of nowhere, but it's just kind of told like a fairy tale. It's like he interact, he comes into these little vignettes with these little characters that all kind of reveal something about what he's going through, a side of him that he's either afraid of ultimately for him to go through the journey and come back and be like, I don't want any of that. You know, like the moral, it's a cautionary tale. It's like the moral of the story is, don't you don't cheat. want that. You know, you you the thing that you're fantasizing about might be scarier than what you already have. Maybe you should just appreciate what you have. But yeah, I think there's there's with every Kubrick movie, there are people who want to dissect it to a degree that is ridiculous. I think people give Kubrick I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. I think he's one of the best, but I think people overly apply stuff to his movies. Prime example is The Shining. You go watch that documentary, Room 237. It's obnoxious. Don't Don't watch it. I couldn't finish it because I was like, I don't subscribe to any of these theories. Because it's all just what we make fun of you sometimes for. But to like like a QAnon (laughs) degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people like, I have It's just people's theories. I've gone down the rabbit hole too many times with Kubrick movies where I kind of start looking into what people's theories are and they are mind boggling. There are people who think that Eyes Wide Shut is all about child trafficking and that Nicole Kidman is the puppeteer of it all and that their daughter is like at the sex parties and being parted around and they're using crazy things like in this moment when nicole kidman's hand goes up her if you pause it her hand touches the clock in the background and it like points at the number six and she's holding up three fingers and we all know that six plus three is nine Uh. and nine is the number of the beast and kubrick does a hundred takes so that he can wait until she gets her hand in perfect position for the clock and it's like you guys are fucking idiots you don't know how (laughs) filmmaking works i don't need kubrick to be 
this cult figure that everybody that everybody just like gives Kubrick so much weight and fangirls over him so much. I think this movie is a fucking masterpiece and I love it. And I don't need all these little breadcrumbs and all these clues, yeah. all these apparently references to other movies he's done. Like these are things that gross me out. Yeah. I just want to enjoy the movie and mm-hmm. not think like I appreciate that Stanley Kubrick is so incredibly talented that he can bring us something yeah. this magnificent. But I don't um I'm just happy to push him out of my mind and just enjoy what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I don't need context. I don't need to have seen The Shining to enjoy this. It's fun yeah. to to make some of those connections to a degree, but after a while, it tends to all these theories and all of these people hunting for clues and making connections to other movies. I know it makes some people happy and I support that. For <laughs> me, it it somehow ruins the experience I have yeah. with the movie the next time I watch it. Again, I don't want to see the I don't want to see those things when I watch it. What I love about it too is by the end of the movie, everything kind of gets laid out for you too. Mm-hmm. Like that billiards room scene with Sidney Pollock. I love that he just kind of is like, here's what happened. Yeah. And you can sort of choose to believe him or not. But the movie is sort of saying, this is the explanation for everything that happened to the movie. It doesn't necessarily answer all of your questions as a viewer. I kind of think it does answer every question, though. Like, there's, I don't end this movie being like, so what was that? But I think or a like, lot of people do. I think a lot of people think this movie is like really confusing. Because they want to know like who the mass people were I guess, or yeah. what there's a number and we can get into them as we go like yeah. what confuses people and i there's some it's things not, I get. It, it almost does it's almost like yes it is it goes a lot of different places yeah. and stuff but i think like comparing it to like a christmas carol mm-hmm. or a fairy tale is so spot on in the way of like it's almost simple like it is just like this guy is being tested i'm not like who is that person who is that person like i think it all yeah is explained. I do see some shining in the movie. Like, I think overall, my my emotional takeaway from Eyes Wide Shut is not that different than my emotional takeaway from The Shining in that I think it is kind of a scary, dreadful mm-hmm. movie. When I think of Kubrick, I think his brilliance comes from how good he is with atmosphere. I think his instincts lean towards horror. I think he's a horror filmmaker, even though The Shining is his only official horror movie. It's like fucking Full Metal Jacket by the time you get to the end of that Gomer Pyle sequence in the first 30 minutes, it's like there's nothing more chilling in any other movie when he's standing in the bathroom with that fucking rifle and that glare on his face. Even 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of turns into like a slasher in space mm-hmm. with, with how... Something you said earlier about it not being life or death until the end, but I felt a sense of dread the minute he walks into this estate. Like, yeah, I felt sure. even bef- even before the person walks up to him and tells him, "You need to leave. You're in danger." Um, I was like, "He's he's just so obviously in danger. Yeah. He's so in over his head." Mm-hmm. And I also like that the movie doesn't get into any sort of like explanation about what this place is. Obviously, there's like a sex cult component to it, yeah. or. Uh, you know, orgy component. There's, there's obviously we know wealthy people, people whose names, if we, if, if he heard them, he would, uh, wouldn't sleep well at night. You know, so it makes so you think politicians, could, like politicians, yeah. yeah. Um, but again, the uh, movie is making a mistake to me if it gets too in the weeds uh-huh. on like, let's give you the answers, let's tell you yeah. more, like. Uh, get into the conspiracy of it all. No, nothing mm-hmm. is going to be better than what you imagine when you uh, turn the movie off and you're just kind of thinking about yeah. it. Well, and yeah. I feel like the thing that I was like having a question of, like 
gets, I don't know, the very end just explains everything. Like I was thinking when he got the whole house thing, I was like, well, what is giving him away? I kept like looking at his mask. I was like, I don't really get what's giving him away until they say like the password thing. But even then at the end, when he's like, you gave yourself away by showing up in a taxi, you idiot. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, like duh. In your pocket. that's so dumb. Like he's <laughs> yeah. so, he did this so like naively. Yeah. And I, and then, so once that was all being said, then it made me think like, oh God, I'm so naive that I would have thought he was pulling mm-hmm. it off. And it's like, okay, well, great. That was explained well, extra, mm-hmm. extra perfectly. Yeah. You could say it's a brilliant choice as well because, um, it's interesting he's he's a wealthy doctor he's throwing out hundred dollar bills all the time he rips a hundred dollar bill in half (laughs) he's paying a hundred uh two hundred dollars over asking price for the rent costume rental like he he gives money to the sex worker even though they didn't have sex together so like he's every he's moving through every interaction with recklessness he has no appreciation of money because he has so much of it he has no appreciation for uh, maybe some of the things in the, in the sexual space or the cheating space because he's so handsome and he's so <laughs> used to having people come up to him and like give him what he wants or offer things to him or flirt with him. Right. So I think it is also him rolling up in a taxi shows how recklessly people mm-hmm. do approach the situations in which that inevitably lead to disaster that lead to cheating that lead to being putting yeah. themselves in vulnerable situations where either their life is risked or they risk um ruining their marriage Blowing and so it's like family. him rolling up in a t- in a taxi to me is like a perfect choice yeah. where he could have probably easily have afforded one had mm-hmm. he thought about it Kubrick originally thought of this movie as a sex comedy Apparently, he he had uh, been wanting to make it since he made 2001. He wanted it to be his next movie. Uh, he had imagined Woody Allen playing the lead. Oh, no. He had imagined Steve Martin and Albert Brooks as well. We talked about on the Modern Romance episode that after Albert Brooks made Modern Romance, he got a phone call from Stanley Kubrick and Kubrick said, I love your movie. I've been trying to make a movie about jealousy for years. And that was in 1980. But then I think by the time he got to the 90s, he had banded the, the comedy aspect of it did you see also that originally it was gonna maybe be alec baldwin and kim basinger yeah he wanted he wanted an actual couple that would be to play it that i mean i love this casting mm-hmm. but i could have seen that being cool too i could specifically really see kim basinger in this role yeah i think he picked the right For one sure. who would the be nicole kidman just oh my gosh she's incredible in this movie who she's who would incredible. be is there anybody today that even could come close to having the the real life ba- like who are our big well, celebrity when they couples were right? Timothy Timothy Chalamet and, and Kylie Jenner and Kylie, Kylie Jenner, Jenner. <laughs> um maybe what they would never do it but like a young version that would be cool would be Zendaya and Tom Holland but they like, short like, and tall like, again but t- too. neither one of them Zendaya, have the clout lo- neither one of them have the Tom Zendaya. Cruise I don't know. Zendaya's got got a good thing going on. I don't know. Tom Holland. Tom, yeah. Tom boring. Holland is not Tom Cruise. <laughs> well, the, I mean, uh, honestly, it would have to be Brad like Pitt a, and Angelina Jolie when they were together. Yeah, but they're not current. I mean, it's like who's together? That's it's like the the people who actually have the clout would ooh, be like a Beyonce and Jay Z, Kurt Russell and Goldie. And Goldie? Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, that would make a great one. Ooh, you know, actually, oh man, 
Will and Jada. I was just about to say Will and Jada. And if actually. you you could almost do an Eyes Wide Shut based around that Their actual marriage. Yeah, like mm-hmm. you could make a movie like this about the slap because ultimately it feels like the themes boil down to be pretty similar. I, it's I, about I emasculation and and embarrassment and like. I gotta be honest. I don't. I don't want to watch two and a half hours of, <laughs> of, of those two. No. Uh, I was gonna say like it's pretty obvious if you look it up, but. I've, People who are probably dying to know, you just touched on it. Like, were they a couple before the movie? Did yes. they become a couple on the movie? Yeah. So they were, they were, to, were they married? They before? were married. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They got and divorced th- only was, like two years later. This was before Katie Holmes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do we know why they split up? Was that Scientology? Is that public knowledge? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I don't I know mean, if she's ever really Tom gone. Cruise is a maniac. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, like, it, we all know who Tom Cruise is yeah. and, and yes, was. Yes. It's and very, like that. that's. If you look into it, it's very much that because of that. Yeah. But um, I will say I they- looked, I they were married for 11 years. They were together wow. for so long. Um, And I remember, or not, I remember, I like was Googling stuff about the shooting of this and stuff. And Nicole Kidman, even now, she doesn't really talk about Tom Cruise at all anymore. But when asked about Eyes Wide Shut, she talks about it really fondly. She was like, it was a really beautiful time shooting that movie. Mm-hmm. And she was like, and maybe it's because I look back on things like I'm not trying to look back on like the bad, but she talks about like how her and Tom Cruise would like go go-karting after shooting some of these intense scenes. And they would just like would rent apartments and like run around and then yeah. to like 3am just like, seems like it was a really magical, beautiful time. Well, and in the, like the, the DVD that I have has a lot of pretty fresh interviews, like two or three months after the movie comes out. So like, two or three months after Kubrick died mm-hmm. too. And they talk about that it was like extremely difficult because the scenes are difficult and yeah. the, the emotions that they had to tap into. And they're both, I think particularly Tom Cruise is like, uh, I got to really get in there with it. And so they were like, it was, it put a strain on their relationship, but a, in a way that they could sort of like made them stronger coming out of it. It seemed like going through the experience. Well, not that much stronger. Obviously not that much stronger. Uh, the, the, Movie took over 400 days to it shoot. It still holds the Guinness Book of World Record for yeah. the longest film shoot. The longest consecutive, consecutive film, film shoot. shoot. I didn't realize 400 Days of Summer was about the making of Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that the sequel to 500 Days of Summer? <laughs> it's the prequel. Oh, the prequel. Oh, wait. Is that the movie? Yeah. 500? <laughs> Fuck. Doesn't work. Cut it from the pod. Delete. Keep it control, in. Keep it in. Control in. out. Delete. Baby, <laughs> um, but he was—he uh, had made a deal with the studio that they could not interfere at all, and that they—he so Warner cool. Brothers couldn't even come to set. Stanley Kubrick shoots all his stuff in London. He's afraid of flying, so he never came to America. Um, and so the rumors went fucking berserk on this movie because it was tons of hype, tons of anticipation, but it took literally over two years for the movie to get made. Let me just list off a few of the rumors that people were talking about. One, people had no idea what the plot was about. And so for a long time, people thought it was about two sex therapists who were trying to like therapize each other through, um, through sex parties and stuff. There was a rumor that Tom Cruise was cross-dressing in the movie and that there was going to be a, lo- a big subplot about him uh, being like a transvestite. There was rumors about Tom Cruise not being able to do the sex scenes and that Kubrick had to actually bring in real sex therapists and find kinky stuff to like get Tom Cruise into the sequences. Obviously, there was a lot of rumors about the hundred takes of stuff, rumors that they were actually having sex with each other in the movie. But the big one, the craziest one is that Harvey Keitel was cast in this movie. He was cast in the Sidney Pollack part, but then he dropped out of the movie. 
And the rumors at the time was that he got fired because he took the scenes too far, masturbated, and ejaculated into Nicole Kidman's hair. This was widely reported. Now, you watch the movie. There's not even a fucking scene where Nicole Kidman and Sidney Pollack are together in any sort of sexual way. So it's like that scene wouldn't have even existed. And uh, and of course, that everybody involved is like, no, that's not what happened. They claim it's because the shoot went so long that Harvey Keitel eventually was like, I can't finish the movie. I have other commitments. And they had to recast him. Gary Oldman tells a story who I guess is friends with Harvey Keitel, that Harvey Keitel did walk off the set because Kubrick had him do 65 takes of a scene where he's just walking through a door. And he said, <laughs> you're insane. I'm not doing this anymore and walked off set. That sounds more believable. But that could be the, the actual reason for it. But either way, he dropped out. Sidney Pollack came in. I think Sidney Pollack is fucking great. Oh my movie. God, he's so good. So when the movie came out, People were really, they had no idea what they were going to get, but the marketing for the movie and all of these crazy rumors had people really hyped up for something way more salacious than they actually got. Um, And there was a big talk, too, about whether this movie was going to be NC-17 or not. And it was kind of a big debate in the film world because at this point in time, the two most recent examples of NC-17 movies were Showgirls and Crash, both of which did really bad and got sort of critically panned. And there was this in the nineties, the debate of like whether NC 17 was quote unquote porn was a big debate. And obviously filmmakers were like, it's not porn, you know, it's adult movies. It's movies that we go further for adults. They're not for children, but the general public thought of NC 17 as pornography. So there was a lot of people in the film community, a lot of filmmakers in particular, who were really hoping that Kubrick would come out with an NC 17 movie because it's got Tom Cruise, it's got Nicole Kidman. It's so high profile that people would be forced to actually consider it a real film. They couldn't tank it the way they tanked Showgirls and Crash. Um, But he had it in his contract that he had to turn in an R-rated movie. Which leads to some variations in the movie that you watched. Justin, how did you watch this film? Streaming on Paramount Plus. Okay. No, it was not on Paramount Plus. It was a Apple TV Apple TV rental. You had to rent it. Okay. Yeah. Two ninety nine, baby. Two ninety nine. Uh I have this DVD. I believe it came out in 2009. I remember getting this while we were in Chicago. I was very excited about it. This DVD version of it has the international cut of the movie on it, which is the quote-unquote unrated version of the movie. Stanley Kubrick turned in the rough cut of the film. He screened it for Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, and the heads of Warner Brothers. They said, this is great. No notes. And four days later, Stanley Kubrick died. Wow. And so they had to finish the movie the movie the cut was locked but they still had to do sound work they had to do color correction all that kind of stuff none of that had been done yet they gave the movie as it was to the mpaa and the mpaa gave it an nc-17 but warner brothers was like it's in the contract he knew he was gonna have to deliver an r-rated movie so we have to do something to this film to give it an r rating so they brought him back to life and they reanimated him. him. They mm-hmm. reanimated Kubrick. They called up no? Stephen King and they said, where's <laughs> yeah. that pet cemetery you've been writing about so much? <laughs> so, but they weren't really allowed to cut it because they were like, this is Kubrick's vision. You can't, you can't 
chop anything out of this movie. So what they did was they actually got CGI and so they put wild. you know the infamous orgy sequence, the masked yeah. orgy sequence, CGI bodies of naked women and cloaked figures, and they placed them, I think actually pretty tastefully, in front of the shots of people actually fucking in the movie. And they ended up releasing the movie that way. That was a big controversy at the time, too, because people were like, well, that's fucking with his vision. Which Yeah, or that Kubrick would never use computer graphics. According to Tom Cruise and his assistant, Leon Vitale, he had been talking about doing that. He was like, if they do give this an NC-17, let's explore the option where we use CGI to cover up the stuff with bodies. That's what they claimed. They were like, he was already kind of exploring that, but obviously they weren't actually doing that with Kubrick. So in America, that is the version that was released in theaters. That's the version that plays on HBO. And Justin, it's the version I'm pretty sure that you watched because- in the middle of us watching our movie on my DVD, the DVD skipped and and froze. And I took it out and I cleaned the disc and I put it back in and the same fucking thing happened and we were trapped. So I had no choice but to then go to Apple TV and rent it for $2.99 to finish the movie. Wow. That's infuriating. It sucks. Were you were you mad? I'm mad. Oh, he was real mad. I'm mad. Big it, mad. It's, you know, I'm out here. Flexing muscles for the physical media, but that is the downside to it. If you get a little scratch on yeah. your disc, sometimes it can it can ruin the disc. And the frustrating thing is, there's no actual scratch. There's nothing on the disc yeah. itself that's showing me where to clean more. Could that be what Warner Brothers added to the DVD? To- <laughs> We'd already passed that point. We were past the. the I saw scene. all those sexy people. So we watched the international unrated version that does not have any of the CGI bodies in it. But then when the disc skipped and we had to rent it, I said, hmm, let's see what version this rental is. And so we skipped past to that part. And lo and behold, it's the version that has the CGI bodies. So you watched the CGI bodied version, my man. Did you notice it? But it was it was still sexy. It was still sexy. For sure. I think if you got to do it, it's not a terrible way to yeah. go. But I did, I did not notice CG bodies. I noticed bodies. Yeah. Strategically Standing. placed yeah. to to hide certain things. Those are all completely CG. It's crazy. Yeah. Like what when yeah. you when we watched the the comparisons, it covers more than I expected. I yeah, expected I them to surprised. show a little bit more than what they show. But in the version that we watched, you see a lot. You full I mean, blown it is see these porn. people fucking each other. Yeah, but it's not just like fucking. It's like so, you see some doggy style. You see some cowgirl. You see some like people straight up <laughs> you like sixty nine. You don't see any dongs. Do see, no, no dongs. Yeah, the sixty nine was for sure covered. I remember yeah. that. I was like, you move, see the get out of the way. <laughs> I need to see this to the left. Well, like, can't the camera go around a little bit? Like Justin, if you want, Pornhub's got you covered. They've got the international version. Isolated just in okay. and of itself. So For, people, I'm not paying. I'm no, not giving a credit you, card. You, you won't. You won't. You've already paid. I'm not phoning in and, <laughs> and I'm not giving my social, my you can, date of birth. You can find that scene in its unedited form on Pornhub. So maybe it is What porn. are we talking, 1080? We talking 1080, 720? I didn't go look porn? at it myself because I got the DVD mm-hmm. right here. And that scene doesn't uh-huh. skip. Um, surprisingly, <laughs> how many times I paused that scene. 
thing in the past. Just kidding. So wait, wait. Last time, cut that out. Cut that part out. We 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 were talking about um, Sea of Love. Sea of Love last week, and and the hour and thirty eight minute boner that you had. (laughs) What I said the same thing. I gotta say though, I don't find this movie particularly sexy. I, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's too uh, out of your mind. It's too spooky. All the so the there's a quite a bit of for people who are disappointed in this movie. I'm like, what the fuck did you want? Because the first shot of this movie is naked Nicole Kidman from behind, which is the sexiest shot of the movie to me. Then you get like a naked woman in his doctor's office scene. You get an OD'd naked woman. You get the mass party sequence. And then you get a dead body naked woman. All the nudity yeah, in this movie is too dark for me to get aroused. But 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 Nicole Kidman, though. But the, Nicole the, yes. Kidman. That yeah, when shot, they, it cuts right before they start having sex. Like, that's a pretty sexy scene. Just and even with her, fu- I'm just talking about yeah. her fully closed. She turns, she looks at Tom Cruise. She's reading a story to her child, mm-hmm. to ha- helping her child with that's, homework. Just, that's the glasses look sexy. great on Nicole. Yeah, she, the, the glasses, glasses look great on Nicole. That weird like onesie she has. Uh-huh. I don't even know. I don't mm-hmm. think it's technically a onesie, but knowing everything we know about Tom and Nicole now, rewatching this movie in the year 2023, did it have any pluses, minuses? Did was it? Did it make it weirder for you to watch these characters or connect with them, no, knowing who they are in real not life? Oh, loved it. Ate yeah. it up every Me too. spoonful. Same. Me too. Because I think they're just so dynamic, both of them. They're both so beautiful. It's insane. It is wild. I don't think people are as beautiful as they are. And it's just the way movies are shot too. Like they look smooth and pristine in a way that like people just don't look anymore. And there's not that whiff of- Even the other like beautiful people in the movie don't even compare to the two of them. You're like, these two are just so- like fucking movie stars, like mm-hmm. legit. Re- That's the other thing of like doing it today. And you're like, what couple could it be today? We don't have movie stars like that anymore. Like social media has kind of ruined the movie Ooh, star. What about Ben and JLo? No. 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 JLo, yes. Take Ben out. No, <laughs> Ben's I think good. Ben, I think Ben's better than JLo as an actor, to be honest. No, but we're talking about like JLo's got some good sex appeal going. Oh, Ben, so Affleck. Yeah. ben, ben Affleck has Dunkin' Donuts. Nah, in it. <laughs> nah. nah. Since, since he's gotten back with JLo, she's yeah. whipped that boy into shape. But he's looking good. He's cleaned up a little bit. He's cleaned up a little know. bit. I don't know. He still does have that full back dragon colorful tattoo, which is unfortunate. But but you know he's got like a huge dong. You see it in uh, Gone Girl. Do we? Is that another one that you paused and rewound and paused yeah. and rewound? Oh, <laughs> uh, it is kind of a blink oh, that, if you miss it. Blink and you miss it kind that of. That was the that was the time your DVD for Gone Girl <laughs> skipped, but because you were replaying it so many times. Yeah, <laughs> freeze framing ruined broke the disc. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's a shower scene in there, and he kind of like it's only like half though. It's not like full on. But you see, you get a pretty good silhouette of it, and everybody has a big dick in movies. I don't trust it. It's the lens, it's the camera, it's CGI. Yeah. <laughs> Fincher probably CGI'd it in there to say, like, yeah, there you go, buddy. Of course. Uh, well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about Eyes Wide Shut. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. 
I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking 1999's Eyes Wide Shut. We already talked about that opening shot of the film, Nicole Kidman dropping that dress. It's a good shot, folks. Apparently, though, it was added after Kubrick died. It was not a part of that original cut shown to Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, and Warner Brothers. Um, His assistant, Leon Vitale, was the one who chose to put it in there. Clearly, there was monkeying around with this movie a little bit after Kubrick's death. I think the end product is great. Don't get me wrong. But um, yeah, I, I kind of I side with the people who are like, you guys should have stopped fucking around with it. You guys probably. Yeah. It's a dangerous game because you could put that in your notes and say, sure, Kubrick was thinking about it. But mm-hmm. once you see something, sometimes you change your mind and you're like, no, that doesn't work. Yeah, I will say I'll, I'll mention it when we get to it. But I have one note. If I could get in there. And give notes to Kubrick before he pass. I have one note for him about the edit of this movie, but I'll I'll say it. And how do you know he did it? How do you know it wasn't some executive? That's true. I don't. I don't. I'm going to actually, now that you mentioned that, I'm going to choose to believe it was an executive and I have a note for them. So we get introduced to our main characters, Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman. They are Bill and Alice Harford. And apparently Kubrick based the name Harford on Harrison Ford. He wanted the character to feel all American like Harrison Ford, and that inspired the name Harford. Isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> kind of funny in a dumb way. Yeah, it's kind of funny way. in a dumb way. That's the thing. Yeah. And I went and read the script. It wasn't the final script, and I don't even think it was the original script. But it was somewhere within the thing. And there's lots of dumb stuff in there. It was a lot of dumb stuff in there that I'm like, it was really endearing to me, honestly. It's like Kubrick... It can be kind of a dumb little guy sometimes, and that it's like he's just a real dude after all. Um, weirdly, in the in the original script, there's a lot of VO from a narrator. Ew. It's like Bill and Alice led a normal life. It's like stuff like well, that. Well, that would have made it feel even more yes. Christmas Carol. It was to me. It it, it like kind of clued me in even more to the fact that like he was looking at this as like a fairy tale, and yeah. none of the fucking weird QAnon conspiracy series shit is in there at all. And you'd think that would be the place where he might kind of lay some of that stuff in there. Sure. Um, Kubrick modeled this apartment too on his own apartment, his own New York apartment Gorgeous that he lived in with apartment. his wife uh, forty years earlier, but. He's a known hermit. He doesn't like to fly. So this movie, while set in New York, was all shot in London, all on sets, built in Pinewood Studios, including all of the exteriors. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And he also works with a really small crew. I remember listening to a podcast with Paul Thomas Anderson, 
And he said that he got to visit the set of Eyes Wide Shut because he was courting Tom Cruise for Magnolia, which also came out in 1999. What a fucking year for Cruise. For real. 1999, Cruise comes out with this and Magnolia, probably his two Good fucking year. best. Magnolia's his best performance It's probably of all his time. two best yeah. performances. Yeah. Rain Man, close third. I think, he's the st- I think he is the best performance in Rain Man. Everybody talks about... Dustin. He's so good though, like in the firm. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean he's Tom Cruise. This is, is great. Tom Cruise at like the height of movie starness. Like yeah, he's before, never bad. He I he's know, honestly, it's true. It makes me sad. Like sometimes watching movies like this, it makes me sad that he Doesn't do him is anymore. such a crazy Scientologist for one. And that <laughs> I, I'm actually he, fine with that. <laughs> but it's because of that that he doesn't do like he only does like his like little Mission Impossibles now, and it's like, come on. Well, I think he just realizes like that's like his thing now. You know, he's like, I yeah, think but he's wouldn't a it be so interesting and, and exciting to see Tom Cruise now? Absolutely, come out something like I this? wish. I wish more than anything he would do another Magnolia or Eyes Wide Shut kind of performance. But I just don't he think not. he'll ever let us to, in to see him like that again. Like I think now there's like because of of how he is in Scientology and things like that he's never going it's going to always be yeah. glossy his image changed because I, yes. I don't think in 99 people they knew he was a Scientologist but I don't think they were quite talking we about we didn't it know what Scientology was then right really it wasn't until like War of the Worlds when he started going after Brooke Shields <sighs> so and stuff that movie too. and jumping on Oprah's couch and the Katie Holmes of it all I think that really significantly changed mm-hmm. public opinion on Tom well Cruise. he is a psycho and we can't oh, he's an we absolute, can't argue he's, a, he's an absolute so we have to just put that aside for this movie. <laughs> but either way, Paul Thomas Anderson went to the Eyes Wide Shut set to court Tom Cruise for Magnolia. And he said while he was there, Paul Thomas Anderson commented on like, wow, you don't you have like a pretty small crew. There's only like 10 people on this set. And Kubrick was like, well, how many people do you have on your set? And he was like, I don't know, like 100. And Kubrick was like, why? Why do you have so many people on your set? And he's like, that's what most movie sets are. Stanley, <laughs> but he's always worked with like a super small crew. I would prefer that. Oh yeah, and that's what Tom, that's what Paul Thomas Anderson said. He was like, I want to get to a place where I can be like Stanley, and 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 just work with a small crew. And he's like, and I'm a little bit more there. I think Phantom Thread was a pretty small crew, um, but at that time, you know, doing Magnolia, such a huge movie, he was like, it was every day. It was a hundred people on set. There was a hundred actors yeah. in that movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they go to this Christmas party. It's a work Christmas party. Tom Cruise is a doctor. He's he's in this sort of elite club of wealthy people. Do you know anyone here? Not a soul. <laughs> I want to get invited to a Christmas party like this, a huge mansion like this, where it's like the, it's like what I assume scared. like the Kardashians Christmas parties are like or yeah. something. It's like oh, I want to go to one like this. Where it's you pretty have to gorgeous. Be in a tuxedo and a gown. Mm-hmm. While they're there, Tom Cruise sees Todd Field, who plays Nick Nightingale, who is a piano player at the party. Nightingale. Nick Nightingale. Oh my God, Bill. Bill Hartford. How the hell are you, buddy? How long's it been? Oh, geez, I don't know. 10 years? (laughs) A couple. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have time for a drink? Sure. (laughs) You haven't changed. A bit. Oh, thanks. I think. <laughs> How are you doing? Not too bad, you know? Yeah? Not too bad. And I see you've become a, a pianist. Oh, yes. Well, my friends called me that. <laughs> How about you? You still in the doctor business? You know what they say. Once a doctor, always a doctor. Yes, or in my case, never a doctor, never a doctor. 
I never did understand why you walked away. No? It's a nice feeling. I do it a lot. <laughs> and Tom Cruise talks to him and he lets him know that like, yeah, I'm in town and I'm playing this bar. You should come by sometime. It's a little setup of an important character. What struck me this viewing about this whole opening is how confident and cocky Tom Cruise is at the beginning of this uh -huh. movie. He's weirdly, he's like laughing <laughs> at everything. He's so comfortable in his skin. But the movie, I think, is giving you these little hints that Nicole Kidman is not comfortable in their relationship at all. She's not comfortable there. There's like a great shot in this party sequence where they sort of split off and she's smiling. And the second they split off, you see the smile just sort of melt off her face. And she grabs like a glass of champagne and just downs it really quickly. There's a moment in the very opening of the movie too, where she says like, how's my hair? And he goes, it looks beautiful. And she goes, you didn't even look at it. So there's like two models that kind of saddle up to him and are like yeah. taking him to another, like walking him around. And you want to go where the rainbow ends? Yeah. Do you think that he would have cheated on Nicole Kidman if he wouldn't have been pulled away? That's a good question. I mean, I think there's a lot of that throughout the movie. Because he tries, sort of tries, like what Justin said at the beginning, is trying to cheat throughout the rest throughout of the movie. Throughout the movie, I think he is definitely trying to. He's trying to yeah, once, he learn, on his... once he learns about this dream Nicole Kidman had or whatever, not yeah. dream, this fantasy she had. Yeah. But before yeah. this, it is implying that like, you think like, oh, is this about to show us that like he's cheated on his wife a bunch? And I don't think he has. I don't think he has either. I think it's I don't think he has. No. I think it's more so implying that like he dabbles in it in a way where he is almost so confident that he never would and that she never would that part of this experience of this movie is sort of like, but what if she would? Do you think those two models are like models that are come in the sex party later on it's like who are these models i would Why not are be they surprised yeah. yeah they, they like, to me they feel like they're kind of recruit they, they, yeah. that's what i kind for, of thought yeah. too i was like if this if this situation that's about to happen hadn't have happened mm -hmm. would he have been invited to this party probably i think so they're in the same circle that's he what i mean like he is doctor. exactly Why wouldn't he be? Mm -hmm. yeah. and while yeah meanwhile nicole kibben is alone kind of like watching people dance and just chugging champagne. This older, sort of suave, pretty creepy dude, in Ugh, my opinion. Yeah, I wish he would have been hotter. <laughs> saddles up to her and right away, immediately lets it be known that he wants to get with her because he like touches her glass and she says, oh, I think that's mine. And he goes, I'm absolutely certain of it. And then slowly drinks Ugh. it while like looking into her It grossed eyes. me out. Grossed me out yeah. too. And I got to say, if I was in Nicole Kidman, if I was single and I'm holding a beer and a girl at a bar, beautiful, comes up to me. Yeah, right. You'd be like, can I get you another I one? I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think that the, the, the like primordial animal instinct to like protect my food and drink maybe runs a little stronger than my yeah. animal instinct to have sex. Even though it would be yeah. very obvious that she wants to get with me, I think I would be like, you drank the whole thing. And that's why if Corey left you, if Corey left you, you'd be alone for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be more concerned about your own food you know, and drink. Jack would just get like morbidly obese. Well, yeah, I mean, I like my food. It's hard enough for me to share food with no. Corey. It's just disgust. If somebody walks, male or female yeah, or anything gross. in between, someone walks up and chugs your drink, I'd be like, cool, get me another one <laughs> ASAP yeah. and don't ever talk to me <laughs> yeah. again. Free. I would run away. But the fact that she doesn't run away, I think, is telling of what's going on with her because- She's desperate to want to feel wanted. Exactly. She doesn't cheat. 
Because then they start dancing, and he essentially says, like, Let's go cheat, Yeah, you want to go upstairs and look at some art, quote-unquote. And she does say no. She turns him down. But she entertains it for a little bit. She could have walked away right then and there. She needs more from her husband, who seems to be just living life with a big old smile on his face. It kind of reminds me of, like, when I wake up in the morning, and I'm, like, (laughs) literally making coffee, whistling Dixie, singing a song, and Corey's like, Shut up! <laughs> what happens? But Stop he, Jack, singing. Jack does wake up and start <laughs> scream singing in the morning. It's like, please let us get there. Let us all Why? get there. <laughs> what are you singing? Oh, anything. Jack like, wakes up with just like every morning is the best day, which like is beautiful. I wish I had that in me too, but I gotta, I gotta get there. Let me get some coffee. Let me see the yeah. light. Whatever tune There's I woke nothing- up with in my head is what I'm singing. Jack's like, oh, Corey, what a beautiful morning. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it's horrific. I know. It's horrific. I can't imagine waking up to that every day. Corey, I'm just, Thank you. I, there's nothing wrong with us, Corey. We, we're perfect the way that we are. We could be grumpy and take hours to get up, and we're beautiful just the way we are. A uh, good little moment, too. Uh, Tom Cruise gets called away from the two models. To, he needs to go to the bathroom and, uh, and check on this guy named Victor Ziegler. Who's played by Sidney Pollack. Uh, Sidney Pollack is a director. He's acted in a handful of things, but he's known as a director. He did Tootsie, Three Days of the Condor, The Firm. I think he's fucking great in this movie. And my favorite performance of his is, do y'all remember him in Death Becomes Her? Mm-hmm. That scene no. after Meryl Streep falls and breaks her neck, she goes to the doctor and Sidney Pollack plays the doctor and he like starts to like examine her and realizes that like her heart isn't beating and her neck is completely broken and he like starts swigging whiskey. He's so fucking funny. It's like the best scene in the movie and it's all him. Sidney Pollack is in there with this completely unconscious naked woman named Mandy. She's a red-haired woman, spends most of this movie completely nude, played by Julian Davis. She's had a bad reaction. She's OD'd on heroin and coke. He's like, it was a snowball or a speedball or something. And uh, he basically just kind of talks her through it. He looks at her, he examines her, and he's like, she'll be fine. She just needs to take a little time, and then somebody should like get her home. And he's like, hey, thanks, man. And, and you know, I don't think I need to say this. In fact, I know I don't need to say this, but let's just keep this between you and me, right? And he's like, you got it, buddy. We know Sidney Pollack's going to come back into play in this movie. They go home and we get kind of a sex scene. It's uh-huh. it, people. I think this was a big controversy. Of the movie is that people wanted a sex scene between Nicole and Tom, and all you get is this kind of like short, sexy one shot into a mirror. Nicole Kidman is standing naked. She's maybe like putting on lotion or something, and he comes up behind her, and they kind of just start to nuzzle up to each other while Chris Isaac. You see tongue. They, they make out thing. and you see, you see Tom's tongue go into her mouth. But yeah, it's not a full-blown sex scene. Interesting thing about the Chris Isaac song, which plays over this moment, Nicole Kidman was very nervous about these nude scenes. She has a couple of them. This one, the flashbacks with the naval officer. Kubrick, those were intense. Those are definitely scenes. pretty intense. Kubrick said, if it'll make you more comfortable, you can bring in music and listen to music while we film the scenes. She brought in Chris Isaac's new album, and this song was on there, and Kubrick heard it, and he was like, I like this song. I think I'm going to put it in the movie. So there's Nicole Kidman who brought the Chris Isaac to him, and it became part yeah. of the, the whole campaign of the film and everything. It's great. Good, big one for him. Yeah. We get this little montage of their day-to-day life. 
And they decide to smoke it up. They put the kid to bed and they're like, bust out the weed. And while they're high, she starts kind of grilling him, almost jokingly, but she's like, did you fuck those models? And he's like, babe. <laughs> but he does lie to her. He says, I, I, she was like, where did you go? And he says, Ziegler called me up. He wasn't feeling well. I had to take care of him. That's all. And then he starts asking her about the guy she was dancing with. And she basically is like, he wanted to fuck me. And he kind of laughs and he says, understandable. And that kind of sets her off. She's looking for a fight. She's I, looking for it. I know. I didn't get, he didn't, I was I like, didn't get it either. I was like, he, it is a compliment. Like, it's not. Yeah. And she's like, what? Does any guy who wants to talk to me want to have sex with me? And he's like, yeah, probably. And she's like, well, by that logic, you want to have sex with those girls. And he's like, no, I'm an exception. There are exceptions to the rule. What makes you an exception? What makes me an exception is that I happen to be in love with you. And because we're married and because I would never lie to you or hurt you. Do you realize that what you're saying is that the only reason you wouldn't fuck those two models is out of consideration for me. Not because you really wouldn't want to. It's just, relax, Alice. This pot is making you aggressive. No, it's not the pot, it's you. Why can't you ever give me a straight fucking answer? I was under the impression that's what I was doing. I don't even know what we're arguing about here. <sighs> Let's say, let's say, for example, you have some gorgeous woman standing in your office, naked, and you're feeling her fucking tits. Now, what I want to know, I want to know, what are you really thinking about when you're squeezing them? Alice, I happen to be a doctor. <gasps> it's all very impersonal. And you know there's always a nurse present. So when you're feeling tits, it's nothing more than just your professionalism. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Sex is the last thing on my mind when I'm with a patient. Huh. Huh. Now, when she is having her little titty squeezed, do you think she ever has any little fantasies about what handsome Dr. Bill's dicky might be like? I can assure you, sex is the last thing on this fucking hypothetical woman patient's mind. And what makes you so sure? If for no better reason, because she's afraid of what I might find. I am glad that they have him be like so like I love upset his by that because it, it it's like, yeah. Tom Cruise basically says like, hey, women just don't think that way. And she's like, brother, let me show you how women think. And she tells him this pretty fucking awful story about how they went on a vacation a few years ago and she saw made eyes with this naval officer who was there and she thought in that moment if he had made a move on her, she not only would have done it, but she would have risked everything even if it meant losing Tom Cruise and her daughter. These she would have taken like it for you, one night. You say night. this in your own brain. You say this to your therapist. Yeah. You don't say this to your husband. She's trying to slice him deep. Yeah, he hears it. And I love the music in the scene, too. It's like it's a real devastating moment. Yeah. 
everyone's worst worst nightmare yeah it is absolutely and that's why it's like this does feel like a horror movie without the horror it is it's a worst nightmare situation Mm -hmm. if you're a wife guy like me (laughs) and tom i can't do you think tom cruise is a wife guy in this movie yeah I think so too. Yeah, he's a wife guy. Yeah. I mean, he does guy. try and cheat on her, so that's not really wife guy. That's the whole thing. What happens if you're a wife guy and your <laughs> wife basically says, I would fuck anybody just for the fucking thrill? <laughs> she doesn't say that. She doesn't say anybody. She says specifically this one really hot sure. baby guy. If the right guy came along, I would fuck him for the thrill. I don't think she I don't think I don't it's think true though. It. I don't think she yeah. means it either. And I think that's kind of like the um like the thesis of the movie a bit. Like mm-hmm. is fucking somebody for one night the thrill, the excitement, that one moment no. worth no. blowing fuck up your yeah. entire life? No. no. And that's what he has to Never. learn. That's what he has to learn. It's garbage. Yeah. Also, you're like risking. You're also rolling the die. You are making that decision based on seeing that person with clothes on. <laughs> you have no clue what their oh, dick yeah. looks like, what their ass oh. smells like. How like you could just be in for the worst yeah. fucking regret oh, of your yeah. life. They're really bad. Like oh yeah. Uh, so he gets a phone call that one of his patients just died. Perfect timing. Saved by the call. He doesn't really have to respond to her to her thing. Um, the script he does respond the scene goes a little bit further in the original script but nothing too crazy in fact what happens in the original script is she says I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that and he's like no I'm glad you told me like it's important that we're honest with each other but then of course it continues to spiral so he goes in to see this old man who has died and his daughter is there her name is Marion she's played by Mary Richardson and she cries to Tom Cruise and then leans over and starts to try to kiss him and starts saying, I love you. And he's like, lady, we barely even know each other. Oh, this was a painful scene. It's painful, but it's what it's revealing to him is that like this woman has been holding in her feelings towards him. And it's revealed too that she has a boyfriend. He's getting a little taste of what maybe, maybe I don't know everything about women. Yeah. This is the first, uh, the first thing the ghost of Christmas exactly shows him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very similar Uh, situation. But she also is like, to me, it's unclear if she, because he's like, we barely know each other. We've not talked about anything other than your dad, your father's health before. Um, So it's like, she could be reacting in a way like she's going through a crisis and she's responding in a sexual way, which also could be like Nicole Kidman going through a crisis and then looking for sexual release as an answer mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. Harvey Keitel was not the only person to sign on to this movie, film things, and then drop out. This part of Marion was supposed to be played by Jennifer Jason Lee. I saw that too. And she did film scenes, but they had to do reshoots and she couldn't make it back for the reshoots so they ultimately had to reshoot the whole part. Wow. Yeah. That's what, what happens when your movie takes 400 days to film. Over, They went through two Christmases. Tom and Nicole went through two Christmas seasons while making this This movie. is a crazy movie and role to have to stay in for that long, too. Oh, yeah. He said that um, Paul Thomas Anderson on that same podcast said that when Cruz got to set, he was literally like, I'm so excited to do this Frank T.J. Mackey character because I have to get out of the mindset of Bill. He's like, I've been living as Bill for like three years. That's crazy. Great last moment too with uh, Mary Richardson. When he leaves, it feels like she's going to say something, but then she holds it back. It's a really subtle little moment, but it was like kind of won me over for her. I was like, she's fucking good. Because the whole time I was watching, I'd heard about the Jennifer Jason Lee thing and I was kind of imagining Jennifer Jason Lee in the part. But then at the end, I was like, she's perfect. This actress is great. Yeah. Her eyes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Her eyes are great. 
She's and she's like crying the whole time. Kubrick, Kubrick is kind of thought of as like a cold filmmaker. People sort of accuse him of making weird alien cold movies, which I think is correct. I think that's part of his charm. But I actually think this is a pretty emotional movie, probably his most emotional movie. The characters themselves are crying and emoting all through it. Yes. We get a number of scenes where Tom Cruise is like walking the streets. All of this exterior street stuff is completely fake. Now that you say that, set. I can kind of like, you. It, yeah. that tracks. There's a little bit, and it adds to the dreamy quality of the movie. There's it doesn't even, feel like New York. There's even a few shots where the background is rear projected behind mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. And there's great behind the scenes pictures of him on a treadmill with a rear projection screen of New York behind him. Why? I don't know. Because they built these huge sets, but Kubrick wasn't about to go to New York to to shoot this thing. (laughs) And he runs into this sex worker on the street. Her name is Domino, played by the girl from Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus, baby. Vanessa Shaw. She takes him up to his apartment. To her apartment. To her apartment. And like the second he walks into the hallway... You could tell he thinks this place stinks because he keeps putting his finger up to his nose like, God, yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> he walks into her apartment and he does it again. It's just so funny how many times like they clue us in that it's like, this place smells like shit. <laughs> but she's sexy and he's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this. And they have like a little back and forth where he's really pushing it. He's like playing the part, wants to get it on. And uh, right before they do, he gets a phone call from Nicole Kidman. She's like, you're still out dealing with this dead patient of yours? And he's like, yeah, it's taking a little longer than I thought. All right. Hangs up the phone and now he feels guilty and he's like, I shouldn't, but I appreciate you. He pays her anyways. That was another Saved by the Bell moment. Oh, yeah. The phone rings and stops him from getting all these situations. Yeah. Yeah. He's constantly getting thwarted in his attempts to Mm. just like, what would happen in a fucking dream? And so he decides to go for another walk. He ends up walking past the club where Todd Field is playing piano, Nick Nightingale. So is this your band? No, it's just a pickup band. Who do you normally play with? Anybody, <laughs> anywhere. As a matter of fact, I got another gig later tonight. You're playing somewhere else tonight? Mm. They only get started there around two. In the village? Um, believe it or not, I don't actually know the address yet. You don't? No, I, it may sound ridiculous, but... Uh, it's in a different place every time, and I only get it about an hour or so before. Different place every time? So far. And what's the big mystery? Hey, man, I just played the piano. <laughs> Nick, I'm sorry, is there something I'm missing here? <laughs> I play blindfolded. <laughs> what? I play blindfolded. (laughs) You're putting me on. No, it's the truth. And the last time, the blindfold wasn't on so well. (laughs) Man. Bill, I have seen one or two things in my life, but never. Never anything like this. And never such women. Suddenly his phone rings. He answers it. And I love this shot. When he's on the phone call, there's like an insert shot where he's got to write down the password. 
and he's like fumbling with this napkin and you just see Tom Cruise's hand come into the insert <laughs> shot and like steady the napkin. Just great. I don't know why I like it, but when it happened, I was like, I like that shot. It's funny. And he writes down on the napkin, Fidelio, the password, which is a Beethoven opera. We all know Kubrick loves his classical music. Which also reminds me of Lynch and, and Mulholland Drive. It makes me think of Silencio. Mm, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, you know what the word Fidelio means? Nope. Yes. It's a, it has a word. It means it's, it's the root of faithful. Faithful. Yeah. But there's another meaning, right? Like a more specific meaning to the Beethoven opera? Or no? That's what I found. That no, it, that's what faith. I found. I mean, the opera yeah, okay. I read it, read up looks like it's about a, a woman who breaks her husband out of prison. But obviously that plays into the themes of this movie. Um, yeah. So he gives him the password and he tells him where it's going to be at. But he's like, you got to come in costume. It's a costume party. You got to come in a mask and a cloak. So Tom Cruise rushes over to this late night costume shop that is closed, but he convinces the owner to let him in. The owner is played by this guy named Rade Serbija. I'm this probably pronouncing that so all wrong. Good. He's maybe my favorite performance in the movie. Uh, he's in Snatch. He's also in Mission Impossible 2. I wish he was in more stuff because I think he's fucking great in this movie. Uh, walks him through the store. They're picking out the thing and then they hear a noise and the costume shop owner goes into this room and finds his daughter played by Lily Sobieski from Joyride and a million other movies. That I don't think she's an actress anymore. I think she quit, uh, quit acting. Yeah, I haven't seen her in years. And I want to say I read that she was 15 when she shot this. Oof. She, and she, looks, su- it. she looks She's supposed like to be underage. Child. Um, she's with two other men, and the father, the costume shop owner, yells at the guys, locks the guys in the room, says he's going to call the police. She runs behind Tom Cruise, and she whispers something into his ear. It's completely inaudible. You can't tell what she's saying, but apparently if you turn the subtitles on, it tells you what she says. She says, you should have a cloak lined with ermine. Now, huh. I don't know what the fuck that means. People say ermine is like a reference to royalty. They think it maybe implies that she knows what he's about to go to. And like to fit in, you should get a cloak lined with ermine, which I could totally see being the case. It's a costume shop in town. I'm sure one of these rich people get their costumes from there. When he says he needs a cloak and a mask, he's like... I think we can find you something. So it's like, he knows. A lot of cross dissolves in this movie too, which I think maybe make a lot of people feel weird. I think cross dissolves are something that like you'd see so little of these days that people don't like them. It's jarring. I myself am on the fence about them. They they make me feel jarred a bit. I'm like, like, ooh, that it feels there's something like TV movie feeling. Exactly. I think we've come to associate them with television movies. I don't love them either, but I won't drop a movie because they got cross dissolves. But there's a lot of them in no. this movie. This one pushes the boundaries of your tolerance of cross dissolves. So then he goes to this party. We've thrown some elaborate costume parties. Why didn't we ever do an eyes wide shut party? Why didn't we ever do a password one? That would have been fun. Can you imagine if we had done an eyes wide shut party and we hired a bunch of people to be naked? I think it would make a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't think that would have worked out so well. You don't think they would have been like, oh yeah. I mean, we let them know at the invitation it's an eyes wide shut party. People would be thinking we were throwing a swingers party. We make it explicitly clear. This is not a sex party. This is for the film. This is not a sex party. We're just going to have people simulating <laughs> will sex be all nudity. around you. So you're saying you think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't realize this was a woke podcast. Okay. Oh. <laughs> remember how you You're talked on about the podcast? You, remember when you always like to say that you don't think Americans understand how to do satire? I feel like we're mm-hmm. falling into that trap now. Well, I, I never said I knew how to do it either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Point proven. Um. So yeah, he goes in. He puts his mask on. He says the password for Dalio. I was shocked that he walked in barefaced to begin with. That was also probably a tell. It's like, put your mask on before yeah. you walk through the door, doofus. I know. It's a little weird. I'm sure immediately they were like, okay, there's a guy walking in without a mask, and he was in a cab, too. Yeah. And he's like an hour late to this thing, too. Like, yeah. Keep a fucking eye on this guy. <laughs> so he says a password, he puts his mask on, and he walks into what appears to be a very pagan underworld ritual where there's chanting and smoke and there's a guy in a red hood who's like stabbing this cane on the ground and the music the music music is that's when it becomes a horror but i gotta say what what nick nightingale's doing on the keys the the little added synth Uh strings that he's putting in there it's cool good they're really good yeah Jocelyn Pook did the score for this, did all this music. Fun thing about the way she got involved. So originally, this whole orgy sequence, Kubrick thought he wanted it to feel more like a dance. And so they found a bunch of dancers who were willing to get naked and hired a choreographer and went through weeks of back and forth of trying to find choreography. The choreographer kept trying things and they would videotape it and they would send the tapes to Kubrick and Kubrick would be like, okay, it's getting there. But he, he would just had note after note after note after note. And eventually it got to the point where he was like, I don't even want to do dancing anymore. I just want to do fucking. So then it became kind of an awkward thing where all these dancers who were willing to get naked and dance were now suddenly being asked to get naked and perform simulated sex acts. And they were all sort of like, are we comfortable with this? And some of them left and so then they had to find more people and all this kind of stuff but in the process the choreographer the dance choreographer was bringing in different music to play for these videotapes and one of them was her friend jocelyn pook's album and she had this song called reverse priest that is basically this song that you hear and just like the chris isaac thing kubrick heard it and he was like what is this song that's on this choreography and she was like, oh, it's my friend Jocelyn. And he was like, I want it. And can I talk to her? And he met with her and he was like, I want you to do all the music oh, for the movie. What a dream. She had never true. scored a film before. She was just sort of this ambient uh, composer. Wow. So it's like, that's the other thing too. Kubrick, you know, you think of him as this like very meticulous, tell everybody what to do, but he's also got a pretty open mind about like discovering stuff. Again, folks, he's just a real guy. Or he was. You know, he when he died, his wife buried him in their front yard. Whoa. In the spot where he always sat. His favorite she buried him in his favorite spot where he would sit and work I on his that scripts. That was like illegal. Well, they live in England. Oh. And they have their own I'd compound. So Okay. Um but yeah, like just in their big front yard. Well, I mean it's, it's huge. There's like this little Kubrick shaped rock mound that he's there. I thought that was kind of sweet. And I was like, dang, I hope I have like a my favorite spot that you can bury me in. The bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> bury me under the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> under the tushy it's where he spent most of his time it's where he did his best thinking <laughs> um, moment two where it like slow zooms in on a guy in a mask and he turns and looks at Tom Cruise and they kind of ha- have this little head nod and you can tell Tom Cruise is just like just play it cool just head nod him uh, and then the women start to disrobe 
completely naked, but they're still wearing masks. And they essentially start choosing mm. men. So the naked women will kind of go in a circle and they'll walk to some guy and they'll sort of like pretend to kiss them with their mask on and then they'll take them. And this red-haired woman with a mask on comes over to Tom Cruise, pretends to kiss him. And there is like a brief little pause in that moment that I think is a pause of recognition. She takes his hand and she leads him into the mansion and honestly, pretty quickly starts saying to him, like whispering to him, like, you shouldn't be here. I can't cover for you much longer. You need to leave. Do you know whose voice that is? Fun fact. Justin, do you know? Kate Blanchett, That's baby. so cool. The Blanchetter. So here's where things maybe get a little bit messy in terms of why people start to really speculate about this movie. And the Kate Blanchett is part of it. Oh. So the actress who played Mandy, the overdose, uh-huh. who also has red hair. Her name is Julian Davis. She was supposed to play this part of the mysterious woman as well. She was cast to do it. But when, when I was talking about how when the choreography of the scene started to get a little funkier, she was one of the people who was like, I'm not really comfortable doing all the sex stuff. Hmm. So she took a step back and they had to recast this part of the mysterious woman. And they casted this woman named Abigail Good to do this part, who looked very similar, had a very similar body type. But they had already shot all the other scenes with Julianne, you know, the OD scene and the scene later on at the morgue. They had shot all those with the real actress. So now there's this new actress playing the part that was originally supposed to be the same Mandy actress. Abigail Good did not have an American accent. She was English. And so they, they knew they needed to dub her. So they end up having to call Kate Blanchett to come voice over this thing. So this character that seemingly is kind of supposed to be the same girl is played by two different people with a third different person doing her huh. voice. So you could chalk that up to intention that we're supposed to be thrown by who she is and who ultimately this mystery is about, which a lot of people do, or you can chalk it up to like, that's the name of the game for film production. You know, like sometimes you gotta I think it's the name of the body. game. Yeah. I think people are wanting to make it something more yeah. like cooler than yeah. it actually is. That's kind of the way is. I feel, because I think ultimately I feel like this is Mandy. Yeah. What do you think, Justin? Does These are people who have no purpose, no <laughs> motivation in life. Well, and they don't understand how filmmaking works. So they think everything is a, a deliberate choice. And so the fact that like, you know, it's going to sound maybe a little crass to say, but like her pubic hair is different. And so people are oh like, God. the bush is different. It's a different girl, which it is a different girl. i even saying that. Just like get a <laughs> fucking life. I will say because so much of this is masked. And so there is a question of was that Mandy? You are as an audience member going like, were her boobs the same? Was the bush the same? We didn't get a face there to like connect it. I was doing that as a viewer. Like, I don't think, I think the movie kind of wants you to be looking at those details and trying to connect. Yeah. If, if Stanley Kubrick wanted you to know, like definitively, he would have put the clues there. Uh-huh. But that's the whole point is yeah. we're never going to be sure about any of yeah. it. So embrace that. Yeah. You could debunk it. I think this is Mandy personally. Yeah. That's my personal yeah. opinion. I think so too. And I think the recognition, the reason why she recognizes him from getting close to him is because he gets close to her when she ODs. And there was like, I think she could smell, you know, she could sense the, the same. She could smell. Okay, I think yeah, she just. She could smell him through the mask in a room filled with incense. 
when she goes up to kiss him, there's a momentary pause. What do you think? Maybe I think she knows right away. Randomly... I think she doesn't just randomly go up to him. I think she's wanting to yeah, help this guy. Him. Yeah, oh. she chose him. I see. I think it happens when she goes when she chooses him. She goes. Wait, that was, you that's are way who... too much of a no. coincidence. She no, knows no. what she's you're, doing now right you're away. Being one of those yeah. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, what is well then in in your version of it? Then what is the moment? People where are she... already looking at him. All of these things. I think she knows that guy shouldn't be here. I don't. Maybe she heard that it's Tom Cruise maybe she didn't but I think she's wanting to help this person escape yeah. this thing regardless I think there's something there's else another guy who seems like she's gonna know, go to you know? and then she walks right past that person and like very intentionally goes straight to Tom Cruise mm. yeah yes there is a little moment but they do the thing and immediately she's like I need to get out of here yeah yeah I think there, the movie is saying there's something about this uh-huh. guy yeah who walked in late. He's the only one who walked in. <laughs> he does, he yeah. got his costume at a yeah. rental shop. There's something about him that sticks out He may out not have gotten everyone, the ermine lining, too. That could be the thing, too. You know, she tries to say, get yeah. the ermine lining. So I think the guy up above on the balcony is looking at him because he sticks out. Yeah. She's going up to him because he sticks she out. A and she eventually yeah. figures out who he is. Yeah. So she saves his life because he saved her life. So, Ooh, I can't. and, yeah, we all and agree. also we don't. And then if we go to the end of the movie, though, no, where, no, don't jump too far. Okay, but where we're told all of these things about like what's real and what's not, mm-hmm. that's important to this. The what we're theorizing right now, too. Well, that's if you believe what you're being told, all of it. Well, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll talk it. We'll talk it. And so now he's kind of got to navigate this party by himself, and this is where we get the great walk through iconic sequence that Justin saw a butchered CGI version of and Corey and I got to see the pristine, beautiful, real version of. Oh, good for you. All the beautiful, naked jollies just dangling everywhere. Aspect ratio is always a debate with Kubrick films. He shoots all of his movies in a 133 full screen ratio, but he knows that when it goes to theater, it's going to get cropped to 1.35, or sorry, 1.85, which is actually a pretty significant difference. And he's gone on the record as saying he knows that's what happens. But then there's always a debate about what's the truest version of the movie to watch if you have the choice. It's really hard to find the full screen version of this movie. All the ones, the one we watched was 1.85 widescreen, and you're losing a little top and bottom out of the picture. And that's another endless debate thing where it's like some people are like, no, he knows you wanted to. If you want to watch it the way people saw it in theaters, that's what they were watching. It was one eight five. But I've seen some comparisons and the images are quite a bit more, particularly in the scene. You're you're getting more naked bodies in the scene with the full screen version of it. Uh, And in general, I just like the compositions of the full screen better. Didn't notice, but I I'm in the camp that the original aspect ratio should be preserved. Whatever the director wants to me. He never it's said. It's a weird side of He never said. That's the yeah. complication. Well, I'm just talking hypothetically. Yeah. If we knew for sure with any movie, not just a Kubrick film, what the intended aspect ratio was and a studio uh, widened it out or changed the aspect ratio or cropped it in some way, whether you're yeah. seeing more or whether you're seeing less, that aspect ratio is the canvas of the painter. And so to be like, oh, there's a there's a version of the painting 
uh, of a Salvador Dali painting that exists that's wider and you could see more of the painting, mm-hmm. well, that would never happen because a painter would never paint those edges. Right. So a camera is showing you things that a director is like, I don't care that you can see those things or that that was recorded. I don't want you to see them. Mm-hmm. So I like to respect that. Yeah. It, it's just unfortunate that if you want, back then, if you wanted to shoot a certain aspect ratio, you're not. Yeah. Um, he wasn't allowed to. They they were like, we're going yeah. to project it widescreen. And he exactly. he thought, well, when it comes out on video, everybody's got square TVs, it'll be square, which was the case until widescreen TVs came along. And so then it became a marketing thing where it's like Kubrick and widescreen. But he shot for both. So it's like both are technically right in a sense because he did shoot for both. So it's kind of up to whatever you prefer. And I think personally, I prefer the full screen. I would like, I wish my version had it. And they don't actually have a, a Blu-ray that you can get for the full screen. So they need to, Criterion needs to come along and like uh, fix it. I know, it. I'm surprised it doesn't exist. There's old DVDs that do it, but they're not Blu-ray. So they're lower quality mm-hmm. and they have the CGI people standing in front of them because they're not the international mm-hmm. version. He gets busted. Gentlemen, please. Uh, Remove your clothes. Or would you like us to do it for you? And then all of a sudden, a woman jumps in and says, Stop! Let him go! Take me! I am ready to redeem him. You are ready to redeem him? Yes. Are you sure you understand what you're taking upon yourself in doing this? Yes. Very well. You are free. But I warn you, if you make any further inquiries, or if you say a single word to anyone about what you have seen, there will be the most dire consequences for you and your family. Do you understand? And he goes home. Nicole Kidman is laying there laughing in her sleep. He wakes her up and she was like, I I just started fucking all these different (laughs) men. So many. So much fucking. And it was awesome. And I liked every second of it. It sucks to tell you this right now. Again, she just shares all TMI. Too many things, yeah. (laughs) Then the next day happens and we kind of get this fun thing where he goes and he retraces his steps back to all the places that he was the night before. So he first tries to go talk to Nick Nightingale, Todd Field, but he finds out that not only has he left his hotel that he's staying at, but he left with a group of guys who were all kind of big and scary. He had a bruise on his face and he looked kind of scared. I love this scene too because the concierge guy is played by Alan Cumming and he's fucking good. He makes a meal out of his one little I read something that he had to audition for that six times. I'm like, that's insane. For that little bit of a part, six auditions. Yeah. He's yeah, so good. This though. Alan Cumming performance is He's the best. Out of this he's world. fucking great. He's like playing he's like kind of like flirting with him, mm-hmm. but he's also like super shy and bashful yeah. and 
then he like finds himself getting carried away at some points with some information he's saying, and then he reels it back in mm-hmm. in a kind of funny way. The movie you he see, just brings a lot y- to the role. You mentioned that he kind of hits on him. The movie seems to make a point that everybody hits on Tom Cruise. Yeah, like it never stops where it's like the daughter of the dead guy, the prostitute. He, he's he keeps thinking about Nicole Kidman's dream, and it's making him more jealous and furious. So then he calls the the girl with the dead dad. But the boyfriend answers, and then he hangs up real quick, which is kind of funny. And then he goes back to Domino, the sex worker's house apartment, which still stinks because he still covers his nose when he gets there. But her roommate is there, and then she hits on him and is like one to get with him too. And this is a great scene too. Tom Cruise, I think, is a master at playing blindsided. Because uh-huh. he's like about to have sex with her and you can tell he's like ready for it. He's he's kind of, he's feeling himself. He's back to being cocky Bill again. And she's like, I think I need to tell you something. He's like, what, what, what are you going to tell me? He's doing it exactly the way he does in Magnolia when he gets blindsided by the question about his mom. She's like, Domino got the results back today. She's HIV positive. And he's like, bowls him over basically because he almost had sex with her. The night before. Which is the risk you take when you cheat. <laughs> Again, it's the the fairy tale right here of like... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he goes to return the costume. He realizes that the mask is missing. He doesn't know where it's at. And it's also revealed, too, that the shop owner is prostituting out his daughter, his underage daughter, Lily mm-hmm. Sobieski. What do you make of that? Sad. It's definitely it's sad. Disgusting. It's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand. I still don't understand why it, it's necessary in terms of how does it support the theme of the movie? Yeah. Um, other than creating a it's just another, like a dark like, underbelly of everything. After hours. Yeah. After hours style, you know, flourish. Yeah, to you me, that I, mean? I think that's that's what it means to me. It's like in this sequence <laughs> of the movie, as he retraces all his steps, he's getting Bad news after bad news. He's getting scary information after scary information. Nick Nightingale is potentially violently ousted from the country, from the state. You know, Domino has HIV. And so this is like the dark reveal. Even this costume shop owner has a dark reveal. So it's like plays into that morality cautionary tale of the fairy tale thing of like, you know, all the things you were sort of tempted by last night have their illicit devilish undertones that you didn't even know were there. And then he starts feeling like he's getting stalked. He goes back to the mansion and there's like a security camera watching him and this car pulls up and this old guy steps out and hands him a note that's very threatening that basically says like, give up your inquiries and consider this a second warning. Do it for your family. And then he starts seeing this bald guy following him around and I love the score throughout the scene, that piano score. What funny moment, too, where he picks up a newspaper and it says, um, lucky to be alive, written real big on it, which feels kind of like an obvious Kubrick being like, he should feel lucky that he's alive. This is the point of the story here. And then he reads in that paper that beauty queen hotel drug overdose. And he sees the name Amanda, Mandy, and he gets it in his head. Is this, could this be the girl who I met? 
who OD'd. Could this be the mysterious girl at the party? He decides to go to the hospital to see the body. And this is a creepy scene, too. A long extended scene of him in the morgue looking at her nude body. And there's a moment where he, like, leans really close down to her and it feels like he's going to kiss her. Now, my argument here is that he's doing the motion that has now happened twice. He does that. He gets really close to her face when he's helping her when she ODs. And she gets really close to his face when she chooses him at the thing. And this is like the third time where he's like doing it again, getting really close to her face, almost like proving, is this the girl who was with me at the mysterious? You know what I mean? It's like he's trying to say, is this her? That holds up if that's how we like identified people. If we leaned in really close to them and <laughs> like smelled dogs. them, and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that smell that Corey smells like that, and Jack smells like this, and my partner smells like that." We can't do. Well, that, if we're wearing dude. masks, though, you know, it's like if that's all he has to no. go on at the party. It's not the smell. I, it's just not. Well, the okay, smell. So, mate, I take think, smell I think, away. I think the 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 faces getting close together definitely is supposed to signify that they know each other these three times yes yeah. that can be a like a movie way of us knowing that but being like she didn't know i don't know just back to the party thing i just don't i just think this is your theory sure great i don't think that they're <laughs> yeah. like i don't i, I understand well, where I, mean, I guess what i'm asking just, is like what do you think the significance I think it's of the definitely moment is? mandy i think it's definitely mandy i no, think i'm asking the significance weirdo. of the lean down i'll be totally honest i didn't i don't didn't even notice it i when she leaned in and kissed him she was doing what everyone else did. Yeah, I didn't like, notice. A small oh, no, no, I mean, I mean this, 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 this morgue. Moment. I know, but I'm just saying you saw a detail that I didn't see, so I can't really like comment on it unless I watch it again. I but, thought he was gonna kiss her uh, head. I thought he's just like going through. Yeah. So I think it's. I've, yeah, I the way I, I read it was like he's. It's like hitting him. Like, holy fuck! Yeah. I got this girl killed. I do think it's maybe just a storytelling device, this getting close to the face thing that Kubrick is using. Yes, I understand yes. that it's not a way that we traditionally do I things. do, too. I'm not even saying it's a wrong way. I just think we're, like, discussing this so, like, too much in the way <laughs> well, in which we're, like, moment in the we're movie. talking about people in two, that 214 movie or whatever. Being I like, Well, I love this moment in the movie because I bet you, you reacted to it audibly. I bet you if we were in a theater of people in 1999... When he leans down to her, I'm sure the theater is going, what the fuck is he doing? So it's a, it's a significant moment that I wanted to talk about. You know, I, th I, think it's, I think it's a fun beat that raises questions. That's all. Just raising the question. Anyways, he gets a phone call from Sidney Pollack. He says, I want to talk to you. And we get this great billiard room sequence where Sidney Pollack basically just lays it all out there for him. Suppose I told you that that everything that happened to you there, the threats, the, the, the girl's warnings, her last minute intervention, suppose I said that all of that was staged, that it was a kind of charade, that it was fake. Why would they do that? Why? In plain words, to scare the living shit out of you. To keep you quiet about where you'd been and what you'd seen. And Tom Cruise kind of pushes back and he's like, 
what the fuck kind of charade ends up with somebody turning up dead? Can you tell me that? He kind of turns into like a few good men Tom Cruise at the end of this sequence too. He's like, he kind of puts him on the stand a little bit. And he's like, you're way out of your depth with this one, buddy. Nothing happened to her that night that hadn't happened to her before. She got her brains fucked out, period. Her death had nothing to do with it. She was fine when they took her home. Now, that's kind of where the scene lays it at. Do you believe him fully? If I was Tom Cruise, I would choose to believe that. Which I think is basically the way he ends it. It's like, hey, people die. Nobody was killed, but somebody died, and that happens every day. You're a doctor. You know that. Can't you just accept that and believe it? Is basically how the sequence ends. Uh, but I think as an audience, it's up to us to decide whether we believe it or not. Yeah, I just don't think that they would go through great pains to follow him. and Because he uh, didn't even discover anything. No, I think Justin's saying if they weren't going to kill him. Oh. Is that not what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, I think they weren't they weren't the ones tailing him. It was the doctor who was doing it because he's like, but he's insane. so enmeshed in that world that he very you, I think same goes. So like, why would yeah. he do all that if there wasn't a grave danger to protect? You know what I mean? Yeah. What Sydney? I think pa- I agree. What Sydney, what Sydney Pollock said about it being a charade or scare him? Like, okay, maybe a few things, but like, there'd be no reason to tail him if. They're, they're- but why is mm-hmm. Sydney Pollock telling him any of this then? then why not just like kill him or whatever? It's like Sidney Pollack is like, I was at the party. He doesn't have to, Tom Cruise has zero idea Sidney Pollack was at this party. It's Sidney Pollack being like, I got to tell you something, I was at that party yeah. and I saw you. So it's like, I think I it's know. like, it's the final warning, like leave this alone. And he does it in such a non-threatening way, which I think is very yeah. interesting. But yeah, that's a, that's a, like the final reveal, you know, it's like, I know what happened and you gotta mm-hmm. like, you're getting out of control. Let you gotta it go. like, let this go. Which, yeah, please that's the way I do, see it. let it go, dude. Just move on with your life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like you wish the you wish the mob boss would like give you this opportunity to just forget the things that you saw, not yeah. kill you. Also, too, but Bex he doesn't the, say it's he doesn't actually say it's a charade. He says, "What if I told you yeah. it was a charade?" Right? Would that shut you up? Would that get you to stop? Doing, exactly. Like, what do you need mm-hmm. to hear, buddy? But also to, yeah, like, that's true. to like let this go. One can make the argument that he would be killed, but the woman, the the way this cult works is like that sacrifice she made protects him, and yeah, they can't kill him even though he's getting on their nerves. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm in the, I'm in the camp that I think she was killed, and I think they would yeah. have killed him. I think the threat is real, and he goes home, cracks open a Budweiser. Drinks it, walks into the bedroom, and then there's a great swish pan over to the bed. We see Nicole Kidman laying there, and beside her on Tom Cruise's pillow is his mask. Now, here's my note. Your note is why reveal the mask before he sees it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's my one note, because there's a shot of just her sleeping before we even see him come home. Yeah. And we see the mask there. I thought the same thing. It would have been great to reveal it in that swish pan. Yeah. I wish it, it was the reveal. It spoiled it. Mm-hmm. Kubrick, buddy, I know you're listening. It wasn't him. It wasn't <laughs> The film him. is great. <laughs> That's true. Let's, this is uh, whoever his, was running let's Warner. Let's blame his assistant. His assistant, yeah. <laughs> Leon. Leon, you fucked it up again. Do you think she grabbed it or do you think somebody put it there? Mm. So... The only insight that I have on that is from reading the script. I told you there was a voiceover. And the voiceover narrator says, he froze. How did it get there? 
he must have dropped it on the way out to return it. And she found it and put it on the pillow. Weird. So that's what the voiceover narrator says. And he starts fucking bawling, and she wakes up, and he falls under her, and he says, I'll tell you everything. It's how it always ends. It's how it always ends. <laughs> and I think the cut to her is really funny, because it just like smash cuts to her, sitting in a chair, her eyes are red from crying, and she said that she cried for hours, just sat in her trailer and cried for hours. Before she came, yeah, to set you could see the blood vessels moment. in her eyes like bursting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she looks pretty torn up, and she's smoking a cigarette, and she's just staring. <laughs> she's just staring at him, clearly having heard everything. What do you think and she was cuts- most upset about? Like, what detail of the story do you think got probably her? going back to the prostitute's house twice? <laughs> that would be the thing I would be most upset about. <laughs> and then I went to the prostitute, and we were about to have <laughs> sex, but then you called me, and then I left. And then I came back uh, and I made out with the other one. Oh, no. Boy, I'll tell you what, I dodged a bullet on that one because she gave me some information that was really scary. Yeah, no, it, it would have been like, dude, it would have been hard to come back from. I'll tell you that. All I told you was exactly what I was thinking in, in my brain. Although, I don't know what's worse because she did straight up say I would have left your ass. For yeah. This yeah, but she was just saying that to hurt him, too. Oh, for sure. For sure. I would have thrown he away He almost ruined their entire life. He almost, his, his he is almost worse. got their child killed for, if we're really yeah. listening to what these people had his said. His is worse, for sure. His, his is, is reckless. Sure. I mean, it's beyond bad. Like, it's yeah. so reckless and dangerous. And I love the cut to him because he's just sitting on the couch with his arms folded, still crying, and he's in like a sweater with like a little button up underneath it. He looks like a little kid who's like in timeout, which I think is intentional. And that's why I think that Tom Cruise is a perfect casting for this, even though I can see a good performance from Albert Brooks, but like nobody kind of has that childish. I not see Albert Brooks doing this. Even in Modern Romance, you know him going crazy with jealousy? No, because he doesn't. The, the part of Tom Cruise that works so well in this movie is the like little boy sweetness about him. Albert Brooks does not have that at all. you gotta be sexy. Like the whole flirting, like everybody flirting doesn't work if it's Albert Brooks. Although he would have had the, you know, he would have had the humor. He would have had his comedy. Yeah, but he doesn't have the, the, like, I was homecoming king and my whole life has been easy because the way I look vibe. I agree. I think Tom Cruise is, is perfect casting for this part. Nicole reveals that they told their daughter Helena that they would take her Christmas shopping today. So they got to fucking get it together and wrangle in their emotions for the time being. And so they go to a toy store. And this is our final sequence. There's a walk through the toy store. Little Helena is picking out her Christmas presents, which also uh, throughout the movie, Helena is going, I want a puppy for Christmas. I want this baby carriage for Christmas. She's saying all the things that she wants, which I think plays into the themes of this movie about what we want, you know, our desires. Um, but anyways, they're walking through the toy store and Tom Cruise finally kind of breaks it, the silence. And he's like, so what do you think? And she says, maybe I think we should be grateful. Grateful that we've managed to survive through all of our adventures, whether they were real or only a dream. And he says, no dream is ever just a dream. He says, well, the important thing is that we're awake now and hopefully for a long time to come. And this is interesting. He says, forever. And she's like, "Uh, yeah, let's not say forever. (laughs) It frightens me. But I do love you. And you know, there is something very important that we need to do as soon as possible. What's that? 
Fuck. Then the Mission Impossible 2 music <laughs> comes out. Limp Biscuit's rendition of the classic theme song. Uh, yeah, great ending monologue. So it's good. a great final line. She kills it. Crushes. The, my only my only other critique is that she's not in the movie more. I'm sorry, but like, put- well, maybe she's had her own adventure. We don't know what she was doing all those nights. We think she's just at home sleeping. Maybe Eyes wide shut too. Wide shutter. The version you've never seen. <laughs> Even shuttier. Yeah, that final line, uh, there's one thing left to do, fuck. Not in the script. In the script, she says everything up to that point, but we're awake now. And then the daughter comes up and it's like, literally like, and they, uh, the family is back together again. Oh, and they lived happily ever thank after. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Interesting to read that stuff, though. It's interesting to go back yeah, and see what how, to see how all the, the germ originated. That could have been made. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll give final thoughts on Eyes Wide Shut. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Welcome back to Cinema Possess, and we are talking final thoughts on Stanley Kubrick's final film, 1999's Eyes Wide Shit. Justin, kicking it off with you. I don't know if I'm ready to commit this to analog tape, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Which we I are speeding be, on. I think this might be one of my favorite movies of all time, and I think it's it's easily my favorite Kubrick movie. Wow, shoots right easily up there. shoots right up there. It's just so it's because it has that human quality. It mm-hmm. has a personal touch. It. It's about people. It's about relationships. And I think it has such profound things to say about relationships in a way that other movies don't. Um, plus a little bit of that Kubrick horror. Um, 
Mm-hmm. It's a horror movie about about relationships and and jealousy and uh, infidelity and all the baggage that comes with that and and then regret and 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 then just the breakdown of that dream and the descent into a total nightmare and then he comes out of it and and he survives and it becomes hopeful and. I just think that there's there's so many layers to it with every viewing. I get something more out of it as I get older, which is exciting to me about a movie. The more the more relationship experience you have, the more <clears throat> you just experience in life, you're able to appreciate different aspects of this. So I think it's a time capsule. It's a, like you like we said, it's a an era where a Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman could get together to do this sexy bombshell in a way that just I don't think can be done today and couldn't mm-hmm. be done as effectively. Um, I love it. I, I, I'm shocked and appalled that there's not a, a definitive version of this movie. And I was going to ask you, like, what would be the version of this movie that you would or should buy? I mean, if the Blu-ray looks better but has some censored stuff i think maybe would i would rather have a version that looks better than a dvd that looks shitty but just shows more tits and ass and dicks <laughs> yeah. you know yeah i think i actually I now know. you can get the the blu-rays i think all have the uncensored version of it um included in there um it's just the aspect ratio it's really hard to find i don't think one exists that does the 4 by 3 if you want the 4 by 3 aspect ratio could you rip the Blu-ray, crop it in Premiere Pro, export it to a Blu-ray, and then you have, and then you take you take the nudie stuff from the DVD and you and you <clears throat> splice that in to your bootleg, then you have a near perfect version of the movie. Well, the but the, I think the most if you want the four by three version of it, I think that currently only exists in a first generation DVD. So. You know, but I'm saying you couldn't take the Blu-ray, rip that, and crop it. Crop oh no, you'd be you'd be losing more. You'd be actually on the top lo- and the bottom. You'd be losing sides because the sides are the same. You're get with the four by three. It's oh. expanding the top and the bottom. You're getting more Whoa. head and 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 uh, lower room. Okay, so then you take the Blu-ray. You we're getting lost take, in the sauce yeah, here the <laughs> like, i just somebody out there please somebody should make do a it. good version yeah we did it with make the star wars version. movies we can do it for kubrick too yeah Corey, what do you think yeah i love this movie um i have seen it multi we didn't really talk about that like our first times watching this movie but i feel like this is the first time i've really I don't know, watched it and understood it, I guess. Um, and so I was really excited by this movie. I think it can go into Christmas um, category Yay. because it is does feel like a fun, weird one to throw in for a Christmas movie. It gets on your Christmas nice list. It gets on my Christmas nice list. It's exciting. It's sexy. It's scary. It's funny. The performances are incredible. The filmmaking's great. I mean, just as like, I mean, I think it's like it gives you what you want for a thriller too. Like if you're just kind of like, oh, I want like a fun. <sighs> I mean, I do think this is a fun movie, even though it's a stressful movie. It's fun, and uh, I give it an A plus. I agree. I've always loved this movie. 
it's really hard for me to rank Kubrick's because I find myself in the mood for different ones at different periods of my life at different times. Sometimes I'm really in, wanting to watch Full Metal Jacket. Sometimes I'm really wanting to watch 2001. Sometimes I'm really wanting to watch Doctor Strangelove. Uh, and those are all pretty different. I can't ever imagine watching, wanting to watch Full Metal Jacket. I'm like waiting for the time when I'm in the mood for that, but it's that's <sighs> tough. I mean, exactly. I mean, his movies are dark. You got to kind of be in a little bit of an edgelord mood. He's one of the original edgelords, to be honest. Well, I think it just even just like the war genre in general is a little difficult for me. You and yeah. en- you enjoy a oh yeah war film. Oh yeah, I mean, I went through a whole mm-hmm. period of it as a kid where I was just obsessed, especially Vietnam. And that's you know, I I watch those movies much differently now because I know the context of Vietnam and the and the impact of it. But it's still the the genre itself is still appealing to me in a lot of ways, and that I think Full Metal Jacket's one of the best. But this film, it grows on me every time. Uh, in that I see new things every time. It it blossoms for me, and it's like probably revealing on me. But when I watch movies about couples, I always take away things that I'm like, I shouldn't do that. I should. I should kind of check that thing about myself. And it happened. Like respecting, respecting Corey on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> yes. And I feel like I tried coming onto this podcast every week and, and find new ways to respect you. Uh-huh. Particularly in my openings, I try to Let's bad not stuff. get lost in the sauce here. <laughs> Keep it moving. Uh, and, I, and I felt it with this one. And, and, and I love that. I love that the movie can do that. And uh, I think... I think uh, the <clears throat> some people critique the movie for its lack of chemistry that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman have, but it's like this is a movie where they don't have chemistry. That's and like I part would of disagree. the point. I would think that I think that even when they don't, they really do. When they don't, they do. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do about this DVD because it fucked up on me, and I don't know if I can fix the fuck up. I'm going to have to go back to work on it, but at the same time. Also, it's a DVD that's in an aspect ratio that I don't particularly want for this film. You know film. what I would do? I would go to go to your local video rental store and ask them if they have like a cleaner, if they could clean it for you. That's true. But like I think one I need of those to machines, you know, that buffs. I'll the do whole that. Disc. I think ultimately I want to upgrade and I want to put this movie up for adoption, but I don't want to put it up for adoption with whatever's going on with it right now. So I'll try to solve the problem and then upgrade but i don't know when i want to upgrade because i want to do it when the when the blu-ray comes out that offers a four by three yeah it's gonna happen one day it'll eventually happen hopefully but you know all the kubrick films are are sort of in that kubrick estate warner brothers thing that sometimes it's hard to get changes made on those kinds of things yeah well now that we've said everything there is to say about eyes wide shut what do you say we play the posthumous film quiz. The posthumous film quiz. That's right, folks. It's the posthumous film quiz. Just as Eyes Wide Shut was released four months after Stanley Kubrick's death, there have been numerous films released posthumously after the deaths of their filmmakers and stars. Can you guess them? Now, this is not just directors, this is stars, this is uh, anybody involved in, in, in the movies. Question number one. Two of these four films were released posthumously after actor Heath Ledger's untimely 2008 death by accidental overdose. But which was the final one to be released? 
The Invisible Cloak Was one. it A, Brokeback Mountain? B, The Imaginarium that of one. Dr. Parnassus? B, B, B. Corey gets the point. Johnny Depp played him. And? Can you name everybody who... The role was incomplete. They hadn't finished filming, so they brought in multiple actors to come in and complete the part. Johnny Depp was one of them. Can you name the other two? Nope, because I think that movie was supposed to be a garbage pile. <laughs> Can't think of them. Johnny Depp, Jude Law, and Colin Farrell. Interesting. Mm. And honestly, the Jude Law and Colin Farrell aspect makes me interested. Because I like those guys. Yeah. Okay. Corey has a point. Justin, zero. Question number two. Which of these Pixar films was released posthumously after the untimely death of its co-director, John Ramft, in an automobile accident? Was it A, Toy Story 2, B, A Bug's Life, C, Cars, or D, Wally? Um, Justin, Toy Story 2. <laughs> Corey Cars? Ding, ding, ding! Hmm. Corey, you must have a little tie to the afterlife because you know all the posthumous films. I respect ghosts. I don't want them to let me know they're here. Question number three. This 2018 Orson Welles-directed film was released 33 years after his death of a heart attack and was also the final posthumously released film of Dennis Hopper and John Huston, who both have roles in the film. Was it A, The Other Side of the Wind, B, Chimes at Midnight, C, Don Quixote, or D, F for Fake? Don Quixote? Came Other out Side 20... of the Wind? Ding, ding, ding! Other Side of the Wind, 2018. You can thank Peter Bogdanovich and Frank Marshall for finishing that film for him. All right, question number four. Justin's got points on the board now. Which of these films was the only one released posthumously after the unexpected death of Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman? Was it A, The Five Bloods, B, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, C, 21 Bridges, or D, Avengers Endgame? The Cor only one released after his death. Corey, The Five Bloods? <clears throat> Ugh, okay, I do know Justin, Avengers? Endgame. No, my Mama Rainey's Black Bottom. Ma Rainey's, Rainey's Black, Black Bottom. Bottom. And he was also posthumously nominated for an Academy Award. But he lost to cool. Anthony Hopkins. For That's the cold. Yeah. Give it to him. I he know, was expected to win. He was expected to win that year. They should have. Although I never saw The Father, but I hear Anthony Hopkins is spectacular in it. I have heard that too. All right. No points awarded on that one. Question number five. All four of these actors passed away during production of their final films. However, only one of them completed all their days of filming just before. Was it A, Bella Lugosi on Plan 9 from Outer Space? B, Bruce Lee in Game of Death? C, John Candy in Wagons East? Or D, Philip Seymour Hoffman? On Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. <laughs> that sucks. That sucks that that was his last movie. <laughs> Jesus. Damn. One of our greatest of all time, his final film is Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. <laughs> Fuck. 
He had to get his bag, man. He did. He was getting his bag. <laughs> he was getting his bag. For D, sure. that movie? No. Not Phil hey, Schumer. Hey, Bella Lugosi. It was John Candy mm. on Wagon's East. He shot his last day. He went back to his rental. He cooked a huge meal for his assistants. <laughs> he called his kids in Los Angeles to say goodnight. He went to bed and he had a heart attack in his sleep. Oh, God. Uh, on his final was day. Was it the big film. meal? Was it the big meal that killed him? <laughs> Some folks may say it was the big meal. <laughs> Question number six. No points awarded on that one. It's two to one. Corey's lead. Question number six. Iconic film composer Bernard Herrmann died in his sleep of a heart attack on Christmas Eve, a mere hours after he turned in his final musical score for what film? Was it A, Cape Fear? B, Taxi Driver? C, Psycho or D, North by Northwest? North by Northwest. <clears throat> the original Cape Fear? Is that what you were talking about? Mm-hmm. A, Cape Fear, the original. Mm-hmm. B, Taxi Driver or C, Psycho? I'm going to say Taxi Driver. Ding, ding, ding. Died hours after he turned it into Scorsese. It was his Damn. final score. Okay, it's two to two. It's a tie game. This last question is worth one point. Whoever gets it wins. (laughs) This 1975 film, The Amusement Park, was originally intended to be an educational film, but was deemed too disturbing and was shelved and considered lost until a 16-millimeter print was discovered decades later. It was remastered and officially released two years after the death of its iconic horror director. Was it A, George A. Romero, B, Wes Craven, C, Alfred Hitchcock, or D, Toby Hooper? 1975's The Amusement Park. B, Wes Craven. What was A again? George A. Romero. A. Justin wins the posthumous film quiz. I guess you know the ghosts better than I. The movie was considered lost for decades and then was officially released two years after he died. That's did crazy. You see it? I did. I didn't like it. It was kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> I don't love a lot of like George A. Romero movies after, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, his best work is Night and Dawn. Yeah. Oh, I like Monkey Shines. Monkey mm. Shines is a pretty good one. <laughs> well that my friends is the show follow us on social media at cinema possessed pod cinema possessed pod where we announce next week's movie ahead of time and if you want to get in touch with us email us at cinema possessed pod at gmail.com and if you want to get even more possessed Go ahead and head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials, our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Join the Patreon and you will also get exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to pods. And Justin, let the people know what movie we shall be talking about next week. <laughs> Next week, we're doing another Nicole Kidman gem, mm. 2004's Birth, directed by Jonathan Glazer. Ooh, Ooh, and we'll be close to the day of birth for our Lord and Savior. The one and only. So it'll be post Xmas. 
So in the meantime, folks, <clears throat> have a happy holidays. We mm-hmm. hope you have a good time and get lots of good presents. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, if you forgot that Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie and you want to get some of that holiday spirit, go on and watch mm-hmm. it. Watch it with your partner and then fuck. fight. <laughs> Ooh, fight, fight or fuck. One of the two. Or Do both. both. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. And as always, folks, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. See ya. Bye. Bye.